Listen here, Joes and Dames. If you're looking for a program about stacking scratch, you're tooting the wrong ringer. Development Hell is one of four podcasts about tailing the burning spinach on a bunch of stoolies, stringing along a bunch of suckers, covering the productions made as patsies and the productions made to be regular palookas. The treacherous tale of talkies that made the trip just for the biscuits and ain't worth two bits. So that's the crop, Jack. I'm your host for the program, Kyle Big Sweaty Andyson, and I'm joined by some of my trouble boys. Spike to Spike Kitrelli and Richard the Mad Titan Humphreyowitz. <laughs> I like had just successfully like kind of gotten rid of a headache I've had all day. <laughs> and immediately I'm like, this is going to be a while. <laughs> there was like, he didn't write a guys, short I- thing like this. Guys, I'm just kidding. Uh, we're one of four podcasts created within the last year that chronicles the bumpy road that truly is the pass-fail industry known as entertainment. Uh, movies, music, movies, games, television, movies, theater, and literature all have a story to tell. I'm Kyle Anderson, and I'm joined, uh, as always, by Richard Humphrey and Spike Kittrell, and we go to hell so you don't have to. Welcome to Richard Development Richard the Mad hell. Titan of Wits Humphrey. Beautiful. Yeah. What was my nickname? Was my nickname just my name again? Does Spike? <laughs> Yeah, Spike to Spike Cattrelli. <laughs> Railroad Spike Cattrelli. great to be what was obviously a, a placeholder that you just, you didn't get around to coming back to. You want me to give him to Spike, boss? Yeah. Of course, I did that beautifully written and not at all rushed uh, intro because today we are covering... L.A. Noir. L.A. Noir is a detective action adventure video game developed by Team Bondi and published by Rockstar Games in 2011. Hailed by critics for its meticulous recreation of 1940s Los Angeles, innovative storytelling, and bleeding-edge facial capture technology, L.A. Noir was called a masterpiece in cinematic video game storytelling when it was released. However, the game's legacy is forever tarnished by an extremely tumultuous and abusive seven-year development cycle. Uh, what's your guys' experience with, uh, with L.A. Noir? Um, similar to, like, uh, Minecraft, where I thought it would be great. I thought, it, like, this is the kind of thing I like. Uh, I played it. I remember it. I don't really like games. <laughs> um, I, I don't like, you know, it's kind of, especially if a game is like, it's like a movie. I'm like, I, those still exist. I, I, I this, I, I I'm good. <laughs> Um, and then it has become for me like, uh, like a meme, you know, the, the guy making the weird grumpy face and all that, the doubt thing, uh, which I'm sure we're getting into, but that's my whole experience with LA Noir is like, this is the kind of movie I like, but like not the kind of anything else that I necessarily like. In, in inherent vice was really if if you made L.A. Noir fully open world and you could just go fuck around and do side quests, that would just be inherent yeah. vice. Inherent vice feels more like limitless than a video game. Lim- inherent vice makes you think you're playing a video game where you're like, have I been in charge here? Who is making these decisions? Whoever's muscle pancake, man. Dude, inherent vice is like a three-hour shit post. Like it's. <laughs> Inherent Vice is a filibuster, and nobody can prove me wrong that they had to try to get another <laughs> bill passed, so they made Inherent Vice. As long as Inherent Vice keeps speaking, no one else can speak. <laughs> uh, Richard, what about you? What was your experience with um, L.A. Noir? Well, 
I was heavy into like uh, like GTA at the time, but and then uh, when LA Noir came out, I really wanted to play it, so I got the demo, and I just didn't understand uh, anything about these controls or like uh, what to do. Like it, it felt like a game I'd want to play, and then I was like, you know what? I'll get that eventually when it's like cheap. And then it came around to like I just never played it. So sort of to what Spike was talking about, uh, Rockstar was really hoping to sort of go big with a cinematic experience, right? Uh, all of Rockstar's games have sort of been pushing to this point where they they're sort of are good at, at making you feel like you're playing. Like GTA is good at making you feel like you're playing through an action. Yeah, because it was right? GTA 4. Like when it's at uh, its when best. Like with the whole Nico Bellic game and everything, and you were just like an immigrant in New York, like, and it really just like felt like Taxi Driver yeah. the game. It, 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 yeah, 100%. It felt very of those sort of gangster movies. And it's sort of clearly one of Rockstar's biggest influences. Um, L.A. Noir was supposed to be like the crystallization of that idea. You know what I mean? Like you're really playing through an incredible like five season long TV show. You know, like what if you were playing through there's the a wire? couple of like mid-level like, like famos in it too. Like just people who are like kind of here and there in like Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll we'll get to a lot of a lot of uh, TV stars of like the the two thousands uh, are, yeah, are the dude are who drinks horse um, cum in Beta House. <laughs> How they get him forever for all our beta for all our big beta boys list, listeners. Um, so this is an interesting little fact, just to sort of start off to let you know the the prestige that came with L.A. Noire. Uh, in 2011, L.A. Noire was the first video game to be an official selection to the Tribeca Film Festival. Uh, we're thrilled that L.A. Noire has, is being recognized by the Tribeca Film Festival in this way, said Sam Hauser, founder of Rockstar Games. It's a real honor and another step forward for interactive entertainment. The Rage... De Niro must have felt when he had like got the email that a video game was screening at his festival. He immediately calls his grandson like, and goes, what the fuck is this? <laughs> right. The amount of stuff that had to be then explained to him. Wait, so, so you're telling me rock stars are making video games now? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's very good. Back in my day, rock stars um, made music. Sure. <laughs> we're just waiting Back for in my that. day Rockstars <laughs> made Chinese democracy We're just waiting for Chinese democracy We're waiting for Axel to come liberate us <laughs> De Niro quietly takes his headphones out And you hear in the distance Just Shackler's Revenge playing He's like what did you want my friend What about Elena Noir <laughs> Yeah <laughs> Shackler's Revenge uh, so Tribeca's CCO, uh, Jeff Gilmore, had this to say, uh, what Rockstar and Team Bondi have accomplished with L.A. Noir is nothing less than groundbreaking. It's an invention of new realms of storytelling that is part cinema, part gaming, and a whole new realm of narrative expression, interactivity, and immersion. We are poised to be on the edge of a new frontier. Well, how did it screen at Tribeca? What screened? I don't know. Well, yeah, just like the I watched the E3 the, trailer or some shit. Like, I watched the beginning of like this thing that was like 15 hour cutscene movie, 4K, 60 frame, mm -hmm. whatever thing. And it's like, did they show that? Did someone play it on a big screen? Did it, what? Did somebody cut it down? What short film do you program before that? I, I, I hope it was like. 
I hope it was like uh, like like when you'd go to a McDonald's back in the day and they'd have an N64 in the play place. Yeah, yeah. It was just sort of always running Mario 64. It was probably this YouTube video I found that was fun things to do in L.A. Noir, and it was just this guy who parks a car on a staircase and then jumps off and goes, you can't die if you do it on this diagonal part. And he does it like nine times. Yeah, that was... They just showed, and Jeff Gilmore is like we are on the er, we are on the edge of a new frontier. <laughs> they just showed the YouTube video L.A. Noir, but every time someone doubts, it's two times faster. Yeah, <laughs> truly revolutionizing everything we thought possible in interactive media. It was done at the PCP screening at Tribeca, so nobody knew what was going on, anyways. <laughs> Everyone was standing. We have a lot of fun. The last day, we always do the PCP screening. It's a good time. <laughs> Last year's pick was Mandy. Uh, yeah, I, I do like I do like the idea that they had like a weird room to show this one in, so there were no chairs, so everyone just stood for fifteen hours and watched gameplay of a video game, tackling the guy that was playing. <laughs> People are cheering when they hit doubt, like yes, lie yes! to her, you fucking lie to her. <laughs> it's the little brother screening where it's just you're sitting next to someone like a little brother watching them play the game. <laughs> Little brother screaming at Tribeca. Who plays during like a bathroom break and they actually beat it. <laughs> um, so like I said, L.A. Noir was really supposed to be the launch of what I think Rockstar really saw as their next phase, which was bigger cinematic experiences. Because while the game might look on the surface like a lot like GTA... Under the hood, it's almost nothing like it at all. I mean, at this time, like, Rockstar was not... Like, now Rockstar seems to be very focused on their online and sort of that whole money-driving aspect of it. But at this time, that wasn't really a factor, and they were just trying to make, like... A cool let's make a really cool western let's make a really well, cool I gangster think, movie let's make a really cool noir movie at, like at that time games. it was them investing in their fans because they were all uh, were a certain age and so you had red dead redemption you had gta you had la noir and two of those were able to pop off and have an actual online community you had bully yeah bully as well but like only ones that could actually yeah. be playable online mm-hmm. actually made it like past all these studio shutdowns that ended up happening eventually you know and it's like could you imagine right. the shit show if there was a video game where you could bully people on the internet like you could physically <laughs> well, what if you had, uh, fight and bully people through what if you just had one some... area where it's like parlor of the video game you just put them all in one spot and just let them like hang out that's exa- well that's what GTA is it's just like who who was it rec- was it one of us that said like in GTA you either have a flying bike or you don't those are the two ways to play <laughs> for real <laughs> yeah, you either have the 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 missile launching flying motorcycle, or you're just dead all the time. Yeah, yeah. or you go to a <clears throat> new job constantly. So, uh, first to talk about L.A. Noir's development, we have to talk about the writer, director, and villain of our story, and maybe one of the worst people we're we've ever covered on this show. A guy by the name of Brendan McNamara. I saw him in the credits. McNamara v. Troy Duffy. Uh, they would on paper love each other, and then I think in reality hate each other. Well, this gets to a question. But, you just have but, Duffy but, screaming but, at a pool of water, and then out jumps McNamara. I, I do think I do think Notch's uh, transphobic shit may edge Brennan McNamara out slightly, but he's McNamara is very evil in different ways. Uh, 
Now, the thing about about McNamara with sort of what you were getting at is he is like he has sort of the most cliche movie taste. Like he would be the kind of guy who would have like a boondock saints frame poster in his place with like a pulp fiction frame poster. Right. Like, um, he's a Joker guy. You either like he's Joker, total Joker or guy. you like Joker, you know, he's, but he is like a, a, a giant, uh, like hairy Australian dude. Like his arms are so uncomfortably hairy he's like hard to look at sometimes and he's bald too. So he has like no hair on his head and then like the rest is just falling all over him. Um, Gotta go somewhere. And I don't feel bad saying this about him because bad guy, Uh, but we'll get into it. So let's start our story back in the year of our Lord, the year of Spider-Man ice age and Harry Potter 2002. So in my head, Uh, when Brendan looks like (laughs) big Al from toy story (laughs) two, he doesn't, he doesn't not. Yeah, he doesn't not. No glasses, but he looks more like a bully, a little more aggressive than Big Al. Um, Big Al mixed with the bully from Bully. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, back in 2002, Brendan McNamara was working at a company called Team Soho. Uh, Team Soho was a London developer that eventually merged with Sony's division that made the iToy and a bunch of other like peripherals. But at this time, Team Soho mostly made vehicle or sports video games. Um, And one of their driving games had pretty good driving mechanics around the city when they were testing it out. So Team Soho had the idea that maybe they could make more of a narrative game based off of these driving mechanics. Uh, Since specifically Brendan, who is a, 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 a higher up at the company, had always wanted to make an open world game to compete with GTA. He always wanted to take down GTA in the same way that a lot of these creators want to, like, take down Star Wars. GTA is sort of the Star Wars of video games because it was the first one to say, what if you really could do anything, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, and and I think the the, the what what if you could do anything thing kind of plays to a bigger concept that I've been thinking about with GTA, which is GTA is really the first game to embrace full chaos, right? Like it sort it's of invites sims. you. It, it yeah, exactly. It's chaotic sims. It invites you to create chaos. It has systems for creating chaos. It's all set up. Where contrastingly, La Noir is a game about order and a game about control and a game about like like you can't just run over pedestrians in La Noir. They all jump out of the way of the car. I think I remember you know that I mean? too when I was playing. That like you know when you start a new GTA or something, you you understand that you have a few tutorials to get through before you can do the fuck around who cares stuff and on la noir it just mm-hmm. never happened and it just like like i guess you said yeah. it's just it was so into being the movie well it's it, it's 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 gta is a game where you run over hookers and la noir is a game where like every hooker has a story you know <laughs> that sounds like it was that in the ad I want that to be the tagline in the movie. Every hooker has a story. <laughs> Brendan McNamara. That's how we sold it. 
<laughs> yeah, he wrote that on the whiteboard. Um, so one of the Team Soho uh, uh, co-workers, Will Burden, uh, said this um, back when they were developing this original game. It was a mission-based game where you were a getaway driver for hire on different robberies around the world. Brendan McNamara saw the potential of a massive narrative-driven open-world game on the PlayStation 2, and suddenly it became a giant gangster action movie where the real star of the city... Uh, where the real star was the city it was set in, London. Oh, wait. So they were like, here's a pitch for the best Fast and Furious game. Let's turn it into a weird British game. Kind of, yeah. Um, it seems like they were very like into like Shane Black shit and like Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels and like... Like what college kids are super obsessed with. Yeah, like it's, you said. it's just yes. them being like first year film students, but having the money to make a thing. Uh, and uh, yeah, I don't know. That's why because at that time, like people love that shit, though. Like, yeah, exactly. That stuff was popular. So they had recreated Piccadilly Circus almost perfectly accurately. Um, and because of other games that were coming out at that time that sort of had racing in other major cities, it kept pushing them to be like, OK, well, you should be able to go into this building and you should be able to interact with this. And we need animations for this and this. So the game just kept growing and what growing and again? growing. This was 2001. Right. Um, so I'm trying to by the about, end. Oh, that's like a midnight club era where it's like you're racing. And the thing you love about it is its soundtrack is banging. Right, right. Um, and so they, they basically, um, by the end of 2002, they had released uh, this video game titled The Getaway. Uh, and it was a oh, pretty well-received game. Yeah. It was like an okay game. It People very like, liked Guy it Ritchie. all right. But it basically, yeah, it was very like Guy Ritchie GTA. Were yeah. you guys um, playing games around that time? Like, were you guys like like having PlayStations and stuff? Or and, like playing like, I didn't. Like, I didn't have games? one. That I was got like an around, Xbox like four or five years later. I had the PS2 then, and I like, st- I mean, it's still like I was playing Tony Hawk and Madden. Like I wasn't. Yeah. This was still. This was really never my thing. I had a friend who had San Andreas, and like I would go over and play it, and my parents would, you know, she they didn't know, <laughs> and but like that was it. Like that was like the other game that in my head I'm like I'm not supposed to play that. That's not my kind of thing and um yeah i was playing games but definitely not this kind of stuff the getaway i I think i mostly just remember from being on like the hollywood video shelf yeah i was a uh i was like heavy in like kingdom hearts and like those types of games at that time and like my brothers were big final fantasy guys so uh what they would do is they would like convince my parents to get me the playstation or something and then they would just like buy games that they wanted for it and uh, so I never, and so it was like Metal Gear Solid and shit like that. I never got to play like the getaway, which is something I did want to play. There was also like Driver, right? Where it was like, I think it was like the third, uh, they made like three of them. The third one, the E was the three. I just remember that vividly. Always cool. Mm, mm-hmm. They did that on Stuart Little uh, 3, where they made both T's and Little <laughs> the three. You know, every time someone uses like the Shaka hang loose emoji, I don't think like Hawaiian as like someone you think like Stuart Little Two hanging ten. I think Stuart Little Two like this summer a little goes a long way. Dude, it <laughs> like, sucks that they never got to make a Stuart Little where he surfs. They did. A Stuart they Little did. where they, they have to go. They did. Don't you remember? God damn it! He did everything. He's they done did that. Everything. And then I remember in <laughs> the Stuart Little, little one where he he's done he, everything. He made Eleanor. He developed it and released it. And <laughs> it was, yeah, 
<laughs> so, yeah, Stuart Little did all the doubtful stuff in the, in the code. He's got to use both so, uh, hands to so, move the stick. <laughs> he sits on the buttons thing. to push him. <laughs> so cute. He it's also so gets a physical cute. education degree in his coding class. It's pretty cute. Yeah, and his dad is Hugh Laurie. Um, so, so while, so while uh, the getaway was like received as like a pretty you know okay game, uh, like I said, it, it, a lot of the things in the game were like like there's literally a scene where a character like tortures a cop who's like tied up while like rock music plays and they dance like directly ripped from like Stuck Reservoir in Dogs. The pretty much. With you, yeah. Yeah, well, it's they, like they couldn't get they the right reservoir to that song, dogs, but like they tried. <laughs> they make a Reservoir Dogs game like eventually, right? Yes, I don't know. I've never played that. I've never heard. They did. There was a little. I feel like maybe it was between Getaway and L.A. Noir. There were a lot of like they made a Godfather game, a Scarface game, mm. and a Reservoir Dogs game. Dog, the Scarface game is wild. Do you guys? Did you guys play that game? Because it was like no. it shows the end of the movie. And then the whole thing rewinds and it goes, what if Tony survived? And then it's you shooting yourself out, like, out of the mansion and just continuing to be like the kingpin of Miami. Wow. <laughs> like it's like a se- it, it, it forces itself into being a sequel to the movie. Exactly. And, it, it, and it's, around, it's insane. And it's just a GTA clone that was just yeah. a sequel to Scarface. And it was around the same time as this John Woo video game called, <laughs> where like that, like you do bullet time and doves fly. It was wild. Video games. What was that? Madden 06? Kyle. Yeah, Madden 06. <laughs> no, I do remember those John Woo games, though, that were like they were trying to be like, yeah, it's going to be like playing through a John Woo movie. Like you come around this corner and doves fly and it goes slow motion. Simulator. And it's, and like, it's the actual sequel to Hard Boiled is like that video game. And they were actually like continuing, yeah, soft boiled. They were continuing like cinema through video games in ways that should have been the sequel though. (laughs) Soft boiled, hard boiled, and poached. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) the Benedict. So, uh, so like I said, um, the the game was like the getaway was like okay to most people. but the important thing to see here are McNamara's film references, the very detailed recreation of a city, and the fact that even in 2002, they were using a ton of motion tracking for the animations in this game, which at the time were not really used in video games and were like super cutting edge. Yeah, it was just for right? Smeagol at the time. Right, exactly. So the game, the game's cutscenes, I mean, it looks like playstation 2 playstation 1 graphics like they're bad graphics but the people are kind of the characters do move a little more naturally than other games at that time um in their cutscenes and stuff but it i mean if you look at a cutscene of the getaway it is it's it's a blocky boy you know um like i think the telephone on the guy's desk is literally has like hard edges like hard corners (laughs) you know old phones were different Remember how like cutting edge we thought all of that shit was? Yeah, no, and at the time it looked you know, good. Like at the like, time, it, it it was it wasn't like a game anybody was like, oh, the graphics are terrible. Like it was it was comparable for for the time. Oh, um, it looks terrible. But it, yeah, it has not aged gracefully. I mean, you know that thing uh, where specifically like specifically he hated. You he remember hated how the things, faces look? You remember these things like looking great in your mind. And us being there at like looking at San Andreas and being like, they've finally created photorealistic video games. 
<laughs> and it makes you like go back and look at now and go like, am I stupid for thinking this looks good? Are we going to be in five years looking at, you know, Red Dead Redemption and being like, this looks like shit? Or is there actually like, have we reached it? I think software patches and like how they can continue to like uh, every few years, like add a graphics pack to a game. That sure. means no matter what, games are always going to look a certain way. And we'll just comment on the physics and how, like, this doesn't move right. Yeah. Well, let's get into it because uh, L.A. Noir yeah. is a game of a lot of this doesn't move right. Um, so, uh, so with the getaway under his belt uh, and the game being barely a financial success and accepted as pretty okay by critics, McNamara decided that he was on fire and quit Team Soho to return to his home country of Australia since his dream was to open a studio there. Uh, he named the new studio Team Bondi, and they officially opened in 2003. But he didn't just hire people. He basically stripped uh, the entirety of Team Soho's staff out from under them. All of their best people, he basically promised like the world to, like, you're going to get all these points on the back ends of the games we make. I'm going to set you up. We're going to be able to make the perfect company. It's going to be exactly the way we want it to be run, because we know how shitty it was to work at Team Soho, right? Which, all in all, everybody was like, pretty good developer. Like, wasn't that bad of a place to work. Yeah, it's also like you don't know. It, it's also you promise that they get to go to Australia, you know, and it's like, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and it's like you're promising them cool shit. So there's like, yeah, why not? I get to do the same thing in a nicer environment. Maybe I'll go. Yeah, I'll move from London to Australia. So a lot of these people pack up and move with him. Um, and because of his connections at Sony, he was able to pull some strings. Uh, in January of 2004, Sony and Team Bandai entered into an exclusive partnership on what was called the third generation PlayStation. McNamara said in an interview, yeah, it's a pretty big and lengthy deal. Three games at least. Uh, wow. Spoiler alert, this did not happen ever. <laughs> Ron Howard voice. It was not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in July 2005, they revealed uh, their PlayStation 3 exclusive L.A. Noir, but the studio had only been sent like a dev kit from Sony a few months earlier. So the past like two years, they had basically just been designing blind hoping that what they were designing would be somewhat compatible with whatever the PlayStation 3 would be doing. What is a dev kit? So a dev kit is like a uh, version of the console that gets sent to developers to make games for it before the console is out. So okay. it's kind of like, it's like right above a prototype, right? Gotcha. So a lot of the times, but a lot of the times the dev kits are like, they put them together specifically. So they're like, they actually run a little bit better than actual base systems that get shipped out. Yeah. Um, so that's why sometimes early games like run really good for the devs. And then when they get shipped, they run like shit for people. But basically they had like, so team Bondi was like saying like, Oh, we're going to have this game. It's called LA Noir. It's really cool. They put out this little trailer that was literally just the logo and like a black and white render of a street. <laughs> Like it wasn't, there was nothing there. Um, it didn't matter. We were, it was a pre Peaky Blinders, like, we're horny for this type of aesthetic feel. Sure. You know, like, it's true. But it's no, true. no video game trailer has ever told the truth. Period. Like, no, is, I mean, I feel mm -hmm. like because it always looks like incredible animation, you know, like the Enter the Matrix mm -hmm. video game trailer was like this 
cool fight scene and then you play it and it's gonna look like a ps2 game yeah i mean there just is something to be said of like anytime you're showing a cinematic it's not going to be what the game looks or plays like because also it would be hard to play a game in a cinematic yeah you know what i mean like like i mean red dead redemption 2 is probably the most cinematic game i've ever played and it's Mm -hmm. like Oh my man, Still you've never played game? Ghost of Tsushima, and that, and that, that thing has Kurosawa there. mode, <laughs> where oh, the whole gosh. movie looks like a Kurosawa. Uh, it's insane. I remember, remember Flappy Bird's Kurosawa mode. <laughs> <laughs> the Candy Crush Tarantino <laughs> edition, mode. where there's blood yeah. squirts out of all the candy. <laughs> remember the Wes Anderson snake? That was awesome. Temple run, but they just show feet. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so then in 2006, uh, Sony dropped out as the publisher uh, on L.A. Noir. So what I think happened is that Sony was getting close to the launch of the PlayStation 3 and sort of checked in with Team Bondi and was like, oh, you have a gigantic game that is nowhere near being a launch title for our system. And I think they just kind of pulled their money out and were like, let's put it on other games that we think can actually come out when the PS3 launches. Because that was a big thing when the PS3 came out was like, it didn't have any games. Yeah, it came with with the Toy Story 2 game. No, Toy Story 3 like, game. It, like, it was bad. Yeah, the, the, uh, but now is legendary for having had, like, the best catalog ever, right? Yeah, because it, it, it takes time. Like, all the Sony consoles are like that, where it's like the PS5 only really has five games, but you can play every PS4 game. But uh, eventually, it'll probably have, like, a, a catalog bigger than anything we've ever seen, you know? So the, so the quote from Sony at the time was that Team Bondi had exceeded Sony's expected price tag for the game. That's really the only detail that they had gathered. Oh, it's too expensive to maintain and uh, whatever they want to do. Because, like, there's probably a lot of shit to render, a lot of shit to do. And, I mean, like, for what yeah. a PS3 could do. Because, like, the PS3 yeah. had to have – the original PS3 had two disk drives in it so that it could be backwards compatible. A disk drive that could run the DVD, uh, like, lenses for, like, PS2 and older games. And then one that could do, like, PS3 and Blu-rays and stuff. And that's why, like, the original run PS3 is so, like, such a collector's item is because it could do both of those. But it's, like, they're famous for breaking because having two disk drives like that is just going to get hot. Right, right. Well, so so in 2006, uh, Rockstar entered the picture as a new publisher um, and then said that the game would simply be, quote, for next-gen consoles, effectively kind of burning that bridge McNamara had with Sony from doing the getaway. Right. Hmm. Um, And now seemingly uh, McNamara is now like sort of at the behest of the people he was like trying to stick it to a few years earlier. Sure. I mean, a lot of these stories eventually lead to (laughs) spite and bitterness. Absolutely. Um, It's always nice when like sudden mid story revenge is always important. (laughs) So did you guys watch that trailer that I sent you the little the the short like their their debut trailer? Yeah. No, I I know you sent it. 
So it's uh, it's a it, uh, this this it. dropped in 2006. Uh, it was the first trailer for the game, and it's sort of a monochromatic proof of concept that was fully CGI. Um, but it was merely to convey to convey sort of the tone of the project. Now I should say they are like over two years into development at this point, and mm-hmm. all they really have is like a tone of the project. And they've made this, oh, this CGI cutscene. Yeah, I remember it. it was kind of big. Like I feel like G four would talk about it a lot at the time and stuff too. But like, um, it's like all sepia tone uh, and dramatic. Yeah, yeah, it's all dramatic and very noiry. Um, yeah. And it is interesting of like very it's, it's interesting to watch how yeah very much so how that sort of evolved from what that proof of concept was to what we actually got. Um, because that that trailer dropping is still five years from the actual game being released. Yikes. It's like games are always doing that. And like, I think I said this to you, Kyle, a couple nights ago while we were playing uh, that, like, games shouldn't be allowed to release a trailer until like they have a completed version. Yeah. Yeah. The first trailer should be gameplay trailer. The first trailer should be a game. I mean. It's like when Pixar makes specific trailers. Yeah. You know, or 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 like Cloverfield, the trailer was shot as its own like short film to try to figure like test out how to make Cloverfield. But then they made it like, you know, two weeks later. But for it to be like, we're going to make an animated movie to tell you what our video game is going to be like, it seems unfair. It's it's always been unfair, and it's been a big complaint in, like, the game community as a whole, is that, like, you're like, never trust the E3 trailer. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, like that's what I was going to say, is that the, the Bethesda trailer for Elder Scrolls Six is just a shot of a mountain. It's just, a, like, a 20-second shot of a mountain with really pretty, like, fucking rendering and i'm like okay but is that what the game is really gonna look like or what what are you saying with this <laughs> what is this supposed to mean yeah it's like how you see that no, mountain you could go there at no time there's even a bunch of reaction videos to the people watching the mountain at no time yeah. is that avengers game uh, like anything like the trailer for the game where right. that, that was like directed by Jordan Vogue Roberts and the and the Avengers game is fun and has cool gameplay that is fun to watch so it's like just show all that and show me what yeah. the game's really going to be like I think that guys I just watched the Elder Scrolls 6 trailer this looks dope it's got a mouth <laughs> <laughs> yo here's a new game when uh, when is is this I'm out go on the streets and just be like hey is this an Elder Scrolls ad or a Swiss Miss ad <laughs> oh my god dude this is basically just like stock footage they just like found stock drone footage basically i mean okay so game. so um let's see here in uh people in kansas now, don't know what elder now, scrolls is now with the press talking uh and a new publisher in the way of rockstar team bondi was finally ready to get to actual work on the game um it should be mentioned that working with rockstar uh was sort of exciting for mcnamara at this time uh but by all accounts uh rockstar was actually super hype on working with team bondi um this was when rockstar was massively expanding all over the place and there were 
tons of rumors that Team Bondi was sort of being eyed by Rockstar to become Rockstar Sydney with McNamara at the helm. Um, and all he had to really do to uh, to to be like the head of a rock star studio was stick the landing on LA Noir. Oh, great. So it worked. <laughs> worked. So he's he's out. in charge of all he's the mayor of video games great. now. Yeah, <laughs> worked out great. Mayor yeah, of video yeah, it games. Out great. Everything's perfect. Um so now we have to talk about the budget, which had been steadily growing since Team Bondi had no money coming in. They hadn't made any other video games, right? So they had no income mm-hmm. coming in other than injections of cash from Rockstar. Uh, right. And they were they were reportedly burning through tens of millions of dollars very quickly. Well, it's like, let's talk about the... Um like a budget on a film like the what would you guys say is the average budget for a movie like for like a blockbuster I don't, I don't know about an average but let's uh, say like 150 million like yeah, 100 million 150 million right yeah. like for like a video game is like like how much like what like three times that basically cuz it takes like millions more to animate like 30 minutes well to put it in perspective the but that's most, also the because most you expensive like a unit yeah. price the most expensive video game uh, ever produced is uh, Cyberpunk, um, with a marketing and production total of three hundred and twenty million dollars. Yes, right. Like, oh my god! And half of that is fucking Keanu is inserting Keanu Reeves the last three years into that game. Right. So I mean, it's like well, it, it, like like this game at the time. Now the the figure that Rockstar puts out is fifty million on the game, but there's no way that with marketing and everything they only spent fifty million. Um, yeah, they so built cars I, for yeah, this. Like I they think, drove I think the it's, city. Yeah, I think it was about a hundred million when they were all said and done with it. But I think they're kind of embarrassed to admit that. Um, yeah, the, the the game yeah. at the time of its release, it was top five most expensive games ever made, and it's the biggest media production out of Australia, like up to that. And point so as they well. just like they just can warrant this because, like I said, like the unit price once this goes out is so different. You know, a movie ticket mm-hmm. is fifteen bucks, and a video game is a flat sixty worldwide. And you might get people to buy some DLC, and maybe they'll yeah. get a they'll get yeah, a pre-order like, deluxe you need edition. Someone to buy, and... someone needs to buy four or five movie tickets to equal that. And if people right. on average bought that much, movies could cost more. Sure. Um, so, so the 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 main reason, one of the main reasons that the the budget was ballooning was because when McNamara opened team Bondi, he also opened a sister studio called depth analysis to develop the motion scan technology that was integral to the game. Um, and they were betting a ton of money on this really expensive tech. And then you also had the added cost of McNamara insisting that the main cast all be played by notable TV actors. While it was still untested, when working properly in ideal conditions, Mosin Scan could theoretically create up to 50 minutes of fully modeled, textured 3D performances a day, which far surpassed the industry standard. That was a lot of qualifiers, though. Yeah. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> that's a that, that's a real like uh, 
Um, that, that's a real like Robert Zemeckis way of just wanting to make a game, you know? Over it's like using mocap to try to make the most expensive thing the cheapest way. Yeah, and it's it, and like I said, it is like because before this, the only real way to do it was the like. Um, uh, so, sort of what we all imagine, like the Andy Circus way, where all the little dots are placed all over the actor's face, and then, but it takes a lot of 3D animators a lot of time because they still have to sort of go in and fix all the keyframes that it fucks up, right? Yeah. Um, but with this, it sort of came out like the actual performance, all that stuff was like kind of done when it was done. Like it was. Yeah, this game looks like the faces look like human faces it's you know like a typical gta or whatever body with like an uncanny valley face yeah and right. the fact that it is notable tv actors doesn't help that uncanny valley feeling well and and this was yeah the exactly. uncanny valley was a thing that mcnamara mentions all the time as like we finally beat it guys we finally have a thing that doesn't make you feel uncanny valley now uncanny uh, valley will just be what, ranch dressing but to Richard's point, like, not only is this technologically the uncanny valley, um, by casting, like, actors, you, oh, where have I seen that guy from? Like, it will, it's all upsetting because you're right, like. because it's not Brad I, Not Pitt. only do I it's think. It's like a guy I, you've seen from something. Yeah, it's like, not only do I think, not only is my brain confused that that's a fake person, it's confused because I don't even know who that fake person is pretending to, you know. Yeah, it's like, like if you think you've seen you're, someone you're in your dream the whole before. time going, what am I looking at? So I just sent a couple of pictures in the Discord of what yeah. the motion scan rig looks like. Um, so you can see sort of how it rendered his face in that first image, but you can see that that second image, sort of the, the giantness of the rig, right? Um, mm-hmm. So in an interview in 2010, McNamara said that, quote, no other technique could capture the intricate nuances needed for L.A. Noir's revolutionary gameplay systems. Um, so yeah. the actual nitty gritty of how motion scan works is it used 32 surrounding cameras to capture an actor's face, uh, facial expressions from every possible angle. Um, that just looks like he's filming a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> It's like that's the Errol Morris like. setup. Uh, so basically, the technology is central to the game's interrogation mechanic. Uh, so while you do occasionally like drive around or shoot people, you know, um, the, a major part of the gameplay is these interrogations where you're sort of required to look at suspects' reactions and sort yeah. of like judge whether or not these people are lying. Which is sort of the big meme and legacy of it is is that that isn't great. yeah it's sort of what like sold me on like wanting this game and then i would just wasn't a kid who could afford to just buy games like that <laughs> you know like that was the thing it's like uh, back then was like i gotta wait till christmas because i'll probably get some money from like grandparents in a card and then maybe i can afford that one game i've been thinking about for six months Right. Uh -huh. Right. Well, and so so the motion scan technology would sort of take all of these different angles. Right. And it would create a 2D video that it would then basically project onto a 3D mesh. 
right? So it's like, think of it less as like it creating a 3D object and more of it creating this big video that sort of then gets projected onto something. Right. So this meant, why do I have to think of it that way? <laughs> so be, because it, it, it raises other issues later on down the pipeline, right? Like right. they save a little bit of time on this step, but they end up making so many more hurdles for themselves later on that because they're developing this technology, they didn't see coming. Um, oh, and it's cause like, I, I get that if you're doing that and you're just projecting uh, something else over it, it's basically, you're not rendering the original vector at that point you're just made you're like working over a copy of something it's harder to like manifest and make something look good if you're not using the original you know right and it's 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 a process that today is called sticky mapping and can apparently be done uh pretty easily in like a 45 minute blender tutorial that i didn't watch all of um but you could do it like on your computer <laughs> now with blender uh but in 2011 this was like bleeding edge technology right um Oh. And it's it's kind of a technique uh, that's mostly now used for like taking still image assets and making them like look really good as like video assets and sort of layering them and stuff. And mm -hmm. um, but it was very hard to get it to work correctly in a video game setting because here's the thing, right? This doesn't just have to be done for Cole Phelps be because if you do it for him and you use normal faces for everyone else, he looks fucking insane, right? So now every you have to bring person- treats for the whole class. The treats for the whole class. Every person, NPC, person you interrogate, other cops, everyone has to have full motion scan facial technology, which means that the game is then running all these face projections at the same time on outdated hardware. Mm. Yeah. Um, that sounds hard. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe don't do it for cold. Sounds like, yeah, instead, it, it sounds like they uh, filmed the whole city Truman show style and was like, it's playable. <laughs> right. Uh, so this led to the detailed facial features for every character leading to extremely long loading times and so much storage requirements that the game was shipped on three discs. Damn. Re like in final like the actual retail was three discs. Yes, it was three discs. Whoa, like two. Whoa, that's crazy. I'm still shocked mm -hmm. when it's two. I'm still very inconvenienced. <laughs> when, when was it's the last two? time yeah. you guys had a two? Oh, uh, Red Dead, the new one. Red Dead Redemption Two oh, is. I a don't. Two. Uh, I don't disc anymore because like digital is so convenient. Yeah, I'd be I disking like crazy. digital too. Um, <clears throat> So let's see. Uh, now, actually recording, actually recording uh, the motion scan technology, like I said uh, earlier when I sort of gave all those qualifiers, um, it wasn't just as easy as like, oh, we turn it on, the guy does his performance, and that's what's captured, right? Um, mm -hmm. The motion scan rig was so massive, and the, the lighting had to be so perfectly even that you have this like, sterile room that your actor is now sitting in to do his performances, right? The um, quintessential aspect of cinema is a sterile, <laughs> evenly lit... It is now. Guys, go watch Kane. Go watch The Godfather. These are sterile 
flatly lit environments, and that is why audiences. Well, that's a, that's it. what I meant by like it looks like they're filming a documentary, but it looks like a prison documentary. <laughs> you know, it looks like they're they're dragging him like this. Right, he is in this weird orange jumpsuit with a taped on microphone. 100% does. Oh my god. Well, this is the room that like he is safe to be in. Yeah, and and uh, and and this is the part of the story that really made me think of Spike the most because I know from working with you as a filmmaker that you are big on performances and sort of as someone who studies film you love performances and sort of that that aspect of it and this is a game that sort of sold itself on we're going to have incredible performances by real actors in real cinema and you'll see how we do it that the performances then become so disjointed well because the actors aren't being protected like they are being brought in to consider their surroundings they're being they're being brought into the they're doing it on this game they're being brought in on like they're being brought in basically like an art asset you know what I mean? Like they're being brought in, like how you bring yeah. in like ground which, textures, like, wait, which actors love. They're, yeah, they're treating actors like <laughs> algorithms, you know, and they're like, "All right, so I'm gonna have to treat you like numbers, and you move here, and I'm gonna manipulate." A- actors like as algorithms yeah. is my clubhouse room that I just uh, created that I'm about to jump on over <laughs> to guys. <laughs> you you see a sim- a really really weird parallel is um, Billy Lynn's long halftime walk where. Uh, like it's it's such a technological like thing for Ang Lee to pull off that he never stopped to consider that these actors have no idea what to do in a 120 frame 3D 4K, and then it turns out again they look just as important in that movie, like just as thought through in that movie as like the the walls or the props. Right. Everyone kind of seems hung out to dry. So, so with the motion scan room being this horribly sterile, uh, in environment, um, Aaron Stanton, who, uh, a lot of people know from Mad Men, but he, he's the, the lead in LA Noir. He plays Cole Phelps. Um, Aaron Stanton sort of gave some insight in an interview a, a few years after the game was released, um, where he said that the actors could really only tilt their head a few degrees in any given direction, or else you'd have the faces becoming cocky guide in the final renders and everyone it like wouldn't lay like map onto the mesh properly so now you're forced to do so no now you're forced to do your performance without moving your head like almost at all right um and all the performances are done sitting down so if you're in a scene where you're running or walking or, you know, in a fight, you have to just do it sitting completely still, but while still moving only your face as if you were in this moment. That's not even nothing. A. Redmayne did that whole movie sitting down and he won an Academy <laughs> Award for it. He, he moved movie. his face. Acting. Dude didn't yeah. even move shit that whole movie. <laughs> Acting without moving your body sounds like a class you have to take, like in at Juilliard, like theater like, yes. school. You it know, sounds or like a like, Juilliard yeah, exercise that, that like there, Adam Driver weird, does every morning. Orlando Bloom tells this weird like theater school story uh, in interviews sometimes, where he talks about like his theater program had a thing where you had to climb the rope like in gym class, but you had to do it in an interesting way. And he's like, yeah, so I got called on and they thought I, w- I was just going to bullshit. wasn't going to find some way. So I just uh, climbed up the rope upside down 
ankles first. And I still to this day cannot fathom what that looks like. <laughs> I don't I don't think that's true. <laughs> There's um, <laughs> there was a teacher at UNLV in the program that uh, her goal that semester was to make you cry at least once. Like she wants to break like she would stand people She announced this? Yes. In the first day of class. She's like, I'm gonna make each of you cry at least once and then had like a session where she would bring people one on one on stage and tell them what she doesn't like about like what they do or something like performance wise and just break them down. Great quality. uh, Oh my God. I've told other people like this experience uh, at like that went to other schools in like Michigan and stuff. And they go, Oh yeah. You had one of those. You at LV will make you cry. (laughs) (laughs) So, so let's get, let's get back to this. So basically, okay. So imagine, imagine you're trying to do these performances. You can't move your face. You have to sit perfectly still. You're bathed in this weird sterile light. You have no one to work off of. Like there's nobody, there's people feeding you your lines, but they're not, you know, you can't have chemistry with a, with a, with a co-star and the motion scan technology freaks out if there's any kinds of highlights on people's skin. So there's constantly a PA coming in and powdering you between line readings. You can't shine. Yeah. Right. You can't shine. So you sort of have all of these factors and then they're like, and your face and your performance is what's going to sell this game, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or, yeah, um, it's I, I don't even know where you'd begin for a technology that a that fourth graders do on their like laptop yeah, on, on TikTok now uh, <laughs> and, and for their eyelines in like the clips that I watch. Nobody really writes about this, but in all the clips that I watched of them filming the motion scan stuff, it seems like for eyelines, they just had a like computer paper printed out picture of Mona Lisa. Ooh, okay. <laughs> so they, they would for, just they tape that, that for Yoda too. around. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that, that, that just feels like one of those gets things. That... She was in Ted too. Hey, if you want, if you want to get that kind of performance <laughs> out of me, just hang up a little pick of Dua Lipa and I'll pay attention all day, baby. <laughs> <laughs> You're running on a treadmill forever. It's just like a guy on your back with a stick and a string with a Dua Lipa picture and you're just running <laughs> towards just like, it. <laughs> So, so now on top of all of this, right, this is simply the face and voice performances, right, that are completely disconnected from the body animations, which the actors recorded separately in like the traditional ping pong ball covered suits. <laughs> they still had to do the ping pong. Yeah, they still had to do the ping pong ball suits. They just have to do the little dots on their faces. So now that's separate. So with the other one, you're doing the little dots on your faces and the ping pong ball suits at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. So now there's not what's happening. And people are, so the actors (laughs) are having to, the, the actors are having to like drunk history through like what they already had said at the other thing and now like acted out their VO. That they had already recorded. Did I see like a weird? I watched. I went around looking at like you know like meme videos too, and saw one that was like this: like actors fucking up and getting tongue tied over the animation. Yeah, yeah it's, it just seems so stressful. Yeah, they put out they put out bloopers with this game because they could because it was a like. But the facial stuff really looks the the, yeah. the motion scan bloopers. really looks weird when it goes from somebody like quickly moving their face 
like ah like because there was a couple where yeah, this one yeah, girl exactly. would be like would be like you're wrong sauce of sorry officer <laughs> and, and like it, when they stick their tongue out really fast terrifying. it looks horrifying yeah. yeah um we'll link to that in our discord too if you guys want to watch that blooper thing um so now the reason that these animations were were done is really to save time because the vast majority of these animations um couldn't even be done like like they just didn't do them right uh like like doing them with this these ping pong ball setup um so these animations had to be like actually like manually done by animators right well Oh, that hmm. that explains a lot of the tongue stuff then, because there was like a trend back then in animation. No, no, no. Uh, the, the, the the faces oh. were the faces were completely motion scan. What I'm talking about is like the bodies and any oh. other animations in it had to be done by hmm. animators, right? Then do the who whole were, game like that. I'm who sorry. Who were spread right. way, way, way too thin across the project. They didn't have enough of them. Why? Why do? Why were they doing this? Because like, it was cutting edge, was, and it was the only way to capture the nuanced performances in the most exhilarating <laughs> new storytelling cinematic gameplay experience. Why are we doing motion scan, Spike? Why do the gods shine upon us? Why do we try and capture magic at 24 frames a second? Why do we do anything? <laughs> <laughs> I know that you Jesus are facing wept. a wall when you do that. Like, how are your neighbors not kicking <laughs> through your fucking windows when you do Cause that? Because they're, they're just like Russian, weird Russian people that I think are, are are just renting the apartment to like like make fake money. I think they're I, they <laughs> it's, have all it's these big printers. Front. I think they're making Dude, fake money. <laughs> my favorite neighbor of yours is the one that has a ring alarm. <laughs> Yeah, he has a rig alarm. Uh, it makes all right. no sense. On a, so, so uh, all right, I won't ask okay. about why we're doing this ever again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you don't want a Willem Dafoe-esque sea shanty curse. <laughs> yes, I will just text you my questions from now on. <laughs> no, but like, I mean, ideally it was that here's the thing with McNamara, right? And you'll and you'll sort of see more of this later on in the story. He wants to be a genius, right? Like he has the desire to be a full on genius and he wants to be like, oh, yes, I created this game that is different from everything else because it used all this new technology and I pushed it through and it was my plan. <laughs> it's it never worked. The hubris. It never works. The hubris. The hubris. It's a like Peter Molyneux, who made the like Fable games, always promised something like that till they kicked him out of the video game industry. Well, the the, the Fable. I, Spike, do you know about the promises for the Fable game? The promises so, for that game were like he was like, oh, you'll be able to take a seed and make like write your initials on the seed and then plant the seed and then come back a year later and there'll be a tree and the initials will still be carved on the part of the tree that you carved them on when it was a seed. Oh, like real seeds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like how people do with seeds, you know? You know? Okay. But so really, like you had a game simulator. where you had it you could marry a woman in every town. Happen. No, uh, it is a game where you can marry a woman in every town and you fight a guy named Jack of Blades and it had nothing to do with <laughs> planting. You couldn't even plant well, an acorn. It doesn't sound, yeah, that doesn't sound cool to me. I want to make seed 
seeds. I want to make trees. I want to make trees happen. Happen. So, so again, simulator. Again, back to the animations. Yeah. Um, basically, the fact that that most of the animations and and when I say they did like the ping pong body setup stuff, that's for like some key scenes and for like the basic animations that they use a ton in the game. Almost everything else was made by this very very small understaffed animating team, which led to almost all of the interrogations that you're doing. The people's faces looking super super detailed and realized but their bodies looking boxy and awkward and disjointed and dead from the neck down it's like the faces Um, are inhuman because the actors were under such stress and the motion is so inhuman because it was hand animated not not motion anything Right. And then McNamara said in an interview uh, about a year after the game was released um, where he was like, basically like, yeah, I don't know why people thought we were going to have these groundbreaking body and clothing animations. Like we clearly said we were capturing faces. (laughs) And it's like they do a a game about floating heads, my my guy. Like, what are you talking about? Do you think he saw the, the uh, that last Pirates movie and he was like, oh my god, we've done it. We've reached the peak of faces in movies. It's just the face. The face is the only interesting thing going on here. No, this looks like it's the same animation-like technique as was that they used on Cats. Right, right. It's it like, looks like, like the... nothing is is agreeing with it melding back correctly on, uh, yeah back on yeah. the xbox 360 you could plug their special camera in and take a photo of your face and it would put your face on like yeah on, on like nba and on like rainbow six and it's like if they couldn't make that look good what would make this game look good because you well, always i'm you sure have 31 more cameras photo, bro yeah that's, that's the thing is that you weren't evenly lit you had highlights all over your face you were moving no like power. crazy. pimples all over my face, you know? That's <laughs> so, so now, on top of all these other animation issues, have that. Um, finding enough good actors was proving, was proving tough. I don't know if you guys knew this, but Rockstar, uh, their New York location, they're actually the biggest uh, employer of actors in the New York area. Like, they employ more actors than anyone. Wow. Rockstar Games. Uh, because they have so many voice actors in so many of their games and so much stuff. So finding talent uh, with good enough actors was proving difficult for the production. Uh, For a lot of voiceover work, you can have one actor do many different voices in a game. But since it was also capturing their faces, you really couldn't do this. Plus, you had the added issue of the head tilting. The main cast members were good enough actors, and most of them were from the U.S., so it wasn't too big of a deal. But with many Australian-based actors being cast for the project, speaking in an American accent without moving their head, yet keeping their face animated and alive to prove difficult for many of them. I like that they're like, the only way I know how to do this accent is if I could just move my fucking head <laughs> well, but like, oh, think about my it. gym. Think about yeah. trying to do an accent. L.A. Noir. You don't even realize, like, a lot of times when you do an accent, you want to, like, cock your head or something. But, like, if you cock sure. your head, you fucked up the whole take. we got to find like, the Black Dahlia yes. killer. Yeah. <laughs> they have those needle things from, like, the Dune trailer where it was like, if you move your hand, you die. That's how you do it. You put them in, like, a like a saw device or <laughs> if they move their head or do a bad impression. A spiral device from the get... book of Saw? <laughs> oh, man. We got to open that book soon. Is that going to be on HBO? Is that an HBO thing? It's on 
think they're legendary pictures. I don't know. So oh, for Team Bondi, uh, for Team Bondi, motion scan wasn't just functional tech, but it was a symbol of what the studio was going to be in the eyes of McNamara, pushing technology and shooting for the moon. There was another reason why L.A. Noire was one of the only Rockstar games uh, to not run on the Rage game engine. So this meant that L.A. Noire wouldn't quite feel like other Rockstar games, uh, but it also meant that the team now had to spend additional time because none of the resources that were already in the Rage game engine could be used. So they now had to develop a new engine, troubleshoot the new engine, and create all assets completely from scratch. So, like, you can't use the sidewalks that you used in fucking, you know... Uh, GTA 4 because McNamara was like, no, I want us to have our own proprietary new game engine. I, almost, I mean, I almost asked why, <laughs> but I don't want you to Wait, he goes, wake uh, up. He goes, he goes knee deep in facial scans and then goes, we need a new game engine. Yeah, I mean, it was sort of at the same time, like from the beginning, he just wanted, he was like, I want our own game engine because I want us to be different. Like he, he seemingly wants to be GTA, but then every time he steps towards actually being GTA or even making a smart decision, he is like, no, we're going to be different. <laughs> is there money to be made or saved from from doing this on a your own proprietary game engine? So the, 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 the money to be made is like if other studios wanted to create a detective game or something, maybe right. they might want to license your game engine, right? Like the Unreal Engine is like the most popular, I think. Um, and it gets licensed out to... Can you explain to, to, well, I know I ask question, like dumb yeah. questions on the video game episodes, but what is a game engine? It's just sort of the... the I mean, I'm not a developer, so I'm not 100%, but it's sort of the, the game, the, the engine that the game runs in and on. And because of that, like, like for instance, some game engines are really, really old because it's just easier to keep adding to it than making a new one. So, like, Bethesda's game engines are technically still the Morrowind game engine, which is from, like, 1994 or something. Um, and they've just it's, been, like, adding well, patches that, well, it's to just, it. It's, it's the digital framework for any, like, game. So it's, like, okay. the base work so for it. So that's why, like, build uh, upon they it. all kind yeah. of look and feel the same. Yeah, because it's sort of, like, just, uh, the, like, the base mark, you know? Like, uh, just something like a white label. Okay. So, but, but for instance, that's why Red Dead 2 kind of controls and feels a little bit like GTA 5 is because they're still using the Rage game engine, but they improved it. it a lot for... For you know, okay, Red and yeah, and a lot of that is like, uh, in each engine has its own special thing. Like, there's a lot about like physics and like Unreal. Uh, really, it's just the, the interactions and the way people move. And now they're using the Unreal Engine to make movies. But but one of those things, right, is that is the assets that are already in a game engine, right? So if you're, you know, especially one of the reasons you'd want to partner with a big studio is. Now we can use their game engine. We can use this huge, oh, 10,000 different animations they've done. You know what I mean? Like somebody somebody handing cash across a table in GTA 4 could be totally reused as somebody handing evidence to Cole Phelps in, you know, L.A. Noir, right? But, but McNamara they, says, I'm in the house that built the GTA engine. They can build my game engine. Right. He's you like, know, he I'm going to have uh, a McNamara game engine. He's like, uh, he's like, no, like, I want <laughs> something that's also on this table. Like, he's looking at marble statues in the hallway, and he goes, I'm next. And, like, the way I'm going to do it is they're going to pay for my bullshit. 
Right. So um, with the interrogation system, uh, and this is sort of a, oh, oh, sorry, before we get to that, uh, instead of optimizing, um, so, so another bad thing that happened with, with sort of trying to, to optimize their workflow with this new game engine, this new game engine meant that none of the other Rockstar Satellite Studios were familiar with how to do anything in the game. Right. So you couldn't just send the game engine. You couldn't just send work to another one of the studios that had availability wow. because now nobody knew what you were doing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and it also meant that they sort of had this weird amount of autonomy because nobody could really like the other people it's, didn't know how to like check their work. It's the um, it's the yeah. f- let's film in Malta because it's the farthest away from a studio saying no. <laughs> right, so, but right. instead he was like, let's have the studio build Malta. Uh, so this was definitely another time of McNamara being like, we're doing this our way. Uh, and the majority of this work had been done for the PlayStation three, um, which sort of has this insane system architecture, which is basically system architecture is basically like video game talk for it's really, really hard to code for the PS3. Um, That's why I had to have two drives. It's really, really hard to code for it. And it's really, really hard to port the coding that you've done for it to work on another game system. Well, um, that was mainly so basically Sony invented uh, like Blu-ray. And so, like, Blu-ray was proprietary only in, like, the PS3 at that time, you know? So, so basically, they were kind of, like, um, they were kind of now, like, fucked because they had, like, spent all this time making everything. So now, to make the game work on Xbox 360, which is what Rockstar wanted, because now they weren't in an exclusive deal with Sony, uh, it meant basically having to redo everything they've done on the PS3 again for the PC and and the Xbox. No Blu-ray drive. Um, so, 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 and it, I mean, you just seeing, I mean, the, the, the pure development hell that this thing is stuck in and trudging through every yeah. day. Sure. But it's so like, and and you you keep alluding to McNamara, uh, his his personal awfulness. But like so far, this is a development hell of like meetings and emails. It's there's you know it's it's like this is just being like administered Dude, and produced really poorly. Uh, yeah, so anyway. so uh, so let's talk a little bit about the interrogation system in the game. Um, when you're interrogating a a person in the game, you have three options to select based on the response the person you're questioning gave you: truth, doubt, or lie. However, sometimes choosing doubt, which you know doesn't sound crazy, would lead to Cole's response what if being like no completely. He well, it would be like completely off the rails, right? So he'd like you'd be questioning a right. pregnant woman, and you would say doubt, and you'd be like, "Come on, don't make me beat the answers out of you!" And she'll be like, "Please don't scream yeah. at me." <laughs> it was just sort of you were like, "Well, all I wanted to do was say that like I didn't quite believe what she was saying. I didn't want to like threaten to hit this lady or like threaten to feed this man to dogs. Like that was one of the responses. Cole's also- like, "Don't make us feed you to the hounds." Like. <laughs> I also, I was like slightly peeved by that. It's like, it's noun 
verb verb <laughs> it's like it should be be honest doubt lie <laughs> so so the reason that this was weird is that uh, McNamara said uh, after the game's release that this was not intended and that the original mechanic was supposed to be coax force and lie uh, coax just does oh. a big old bump in front of them but but he didn't feel like like now Rockstar are three verbs <laughs> rockstar didn't feel like those were clear <laughs> enough for the player of what you were going to be trying to do in every situation um but because yeah, that's how the kids but because that's how they were already written and filmed and that was like one of the hardest most expensive bits and you'd have to try to convince fucking aaron to fly back to australia and sit in the bad bad bright room again like these were unchanged right uh they just changed what yeah. the button said but didn't actually change the content and then later <laughs> when they re-released it on ps4 they changed it again to good cop bad cop accuse <laughs> which are different things than <laughs> which all those don't things. even make sense either <laughs> well now good cops truth bad cops doubt <laughs> i understand the concept if all along it had been good cop bad cop that makes sense because that is the mm -hmm. common interrogation thing. Right. To just Probably throw that in the, the remaster when it wasn't the <laughs> knock on one of the good cop, bad cop, threaten the pregnant lady. Right. Good right. cop, bad cop, shove gun in mouth. <laughs> so the game is still is still in the throngs of development hell. And in 2009, uh, Rockstar executives scheduled a trip to Australia to see the money hole for themselves. Um, this is because McNamara has constantly been hyping the game extremely high on phone calls and in emails, right? So he's like, guys, don't worry. This new game engine, out of control. The animations, unlike anything you've ever <laughs> fucking seen. And at this point, Rockstar has put like probably 35 million into this and don't have a game to show for it. Yeah. And so they come down to Australia with extremely high hopes. They want to be like floored with all the, the hype sure. that McNamara has set up. <laughs> However, once the Rockstar executives got there, Team Bondi could not get the current build of the game to actually boot up. The game was stuck on the loading That's screen and Rockstar executives were so upset they nearly pulled the plug on the entire project in the room. You're saying they chose... They chose doubt. doubt. They chose that cop. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, thirty-five. Like one of the one of the employees said that the executive was was walking to his car, um, like furious, and he said thirty-five million dollars, and we can't get past a fucking load screen. No, sure. I mean, could you imagine <laughs> if like you finally get Francis Ford Coppola to like show you the cut of Apocalypse Now, and he's like hasn't shaved in a year and like people are dying and having heart attacks and like the the button on the <laughs> on the DVD player is jammed. It's, it's like now the billion, even get it's the the billion dollar that, movie that. joke with Diamond Joe where the movie's only like two minutes long. <laughs> Dude, that was like <laughs> That, that was around the time you found out at like some of the E3 like trailers that they would say it would say like actual gameplay footage or like footage on an Xbox and then it was oh, sure they out, had to start and it was like advertising it. you zoom out and it's a guy on a PC running it. 
So or it, it would just actually be a sure. video. Like it was like that level of lies yeah, anyway. It's like Ben Wyatt's claymation movie in <laughs> Parks and Rec. Like <laughs> he played forty frames of it and they were like, Is that yeah. it? Did I just fly to Sydney for you to tell me we can't get out of the fucking load screen? Insane, right? So That's crazy. Um and and a big a big thing that had been hyping hyping them up was all of these pages of the script, these scenes that he had been sending to Rockstar. When Rockstar would ask for like a update, he'd be like, check out this scene where Cole Phelps totally gets the get gets the fucking drop on these dudes. Um, <laughs> so so I want you guys to guess how many pages the script for LA Noir was. 477. I don't know. Okay. It seems like 477. A film if script, I for any that, listeners who aren't familiar, this, a film script is around 100, 120 pages, somewhere in there. Like, page per minute is the bullshit rule. Mm-hmm. But, like, I'm going to, bu- like, going on the rules so I can win. R- Richard, what did you say? 477? 476. <laughs> cool. Um, so I'm just going to read a quote uh, from Brennan McNamara <laughs> to, to Edge magazine. Uh, the script is up to 22,000 pages. <laughs> oh, I won. <laughs> said, that's, that's a little much. Whoa. <laughs> that's two full years of a TV series and probably about 12 feature films. It goes a lot of places. Oh, that's not 12 feature films, is it? That's like hundreds of feature films. <laughs> 12 feature films would be 1,200 pages at that point, if we go by the like 100 page logic. The scripts, yeah, so the is, scripts up to 22,000 pages is one of my up favorite to, quotes. Not, of... <laughs> you know, to, to harken back to it, um, apparently Paul Thomas Anderson, when he adapted Inherent Vice, like did not understand the book. So he just <laughs> transcribed the book beat for beat into a script and gave it to his sister and the sis- his sister was like I am not reading a 500 page movie script you need to go to work <laughs> like this is the get this is the sort of like I, I don't know it's the same thing of like 22,000 pages well that's like what it was like 3,000 pages or something for the uh, original script uh, um, what's that uh, Wachowski Brothers uh, space movie oh uh, Jupiter Ascending oh, or Wachowski's, something yeah Jupiter Fallen deep in old Matrix research. Uh, spoiler alert! So I, sorry, I said Wachowski brothers. Let me correct myself. Wachowski's. Um, but like, it, it's it's like, I don't understand that. That almost feels like a lie. Like, I don't, I can't fathom what that looks like, physically. Like, I don't understand what is on page. 13,000. Yeah, that's I have, a big I have seen a desk where it is like, like comically, like two foot tall stacks of paper. Um, yeah. Jesus Christ. So uh, now at this point, I'm going to be quoting a lot of Team Bondi employees as we get into the nitty gritty of developing the game and into the abuse of the staff. Um, These quotes are from a group called the Bondi 11, a collective of former employees that came together to shine a light on the horrible working conditions at Team Bondi. 
these quotes, a lot of these quotes come from an article uh, published by IGN uh, after the game's release. It's a really, really good article. Um, a lot of them also come from a YouTube video uh, called L.A. Noir What Happened by Matt McMuscles. It's also really great that you should totally check out. Um, Matt McMuscles? Yeah, he's really good. Good um, uh, A uh, Okay, so... Uh, the article not only let employees talk about their working conditions, but it also let McNamara fire back at them. And a lot of the employees were actually really, really surprised that McNamara agreed to do this IGN interview about this. Um, so uh, employees talked about uh, how the studio was in complete disarray. Quote, since... Rockstar had injected money into the studio. Uh, the game had been revamped, ported, and delayed four times. Rockstar spent more money than Sony in a lot of their efforts to make it not suck. Uh, their em the employees at Team Bondi described Brendan McNamara as a bully. Quote, he's one of the angriest people in the world. When Brendan came on board, it became clear that he was a huge bully with no talent, vision, or management skills. But he really knew how to intimidate. Uh, as you can imagine, he, McNamara oh, he intimidate. Yeah. He was a real bad cop, <laughs> real bad cop. Uh, as you can imagine, McNamara had a very my way or the highway attitude uh, and the stress he put on his employees meant that most only lasted at the company a short time, sometimes only days. Uh, one programmer cited unrealistic goals, unreasonable deadlines and verbally abusive behavior. It's quote, it's one thing for him to be angry behind closed doors, but it was incredibly common for him to scream at whoever was pissing him off in the middle of the office. Uh, in IGN's conversation with McNamara, they uh, talked openly about his management style, saying that he sees getting into arguments as part of trying to get things done. Am I passionate about making the game? Absolutely. Do you think I'm going to voice my opinion? Absolutely. But I don't think that's verbal abuse. It is if you're being <laughs> verbally abusive doing it, dickhead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds like if I made a movie. <laughs> <laughs> that would be your your technique. Yeah, just argue with everybody till it gets made. <laughs> it uh, seems like I'm going to have to yell at you. Yeah. So McNamara hire said, somebody just to yell at him. Um, so so the way that that game studios work is you know you have your your directors and producers that are sort of a group of people, right? They're really it's really not yeah. like movies where there's one director like having a driving force through it. It's sort of a bunch of team leads who oversee their teams and bring their parts to the process because it is such a more collaborative medium, right? Um, okay. It like inherently needs more people working in these smaller teams, working on very specific elements to sort of bring it all together. Um, but McNamara has no respect for that system or using his team leads in any way. Well, isn't there... Uh, um what comes to mind, I guess, against this is, like, uh, the only name I can think of would be Hideo Kojima, who, like, seems to be a singular visionary who, you know, maybe has a team. He's probably not sitting there coding his games, but is this one of... Are, I guess my questions are, like, are there other Hideo Kojimas, and did he, did he just think he was one of them? Yeah, he thought he was one of them, but he's probably way closer to the Duke Nukem guy, you know, who just had full creative control over his game, and it suffered because of it, you know, like... Um, but, did yeah, didn't know how to use it. 
Right, right. And of course, I think he thinks he's a genius huh. like Hideo Kojima, but like he's clearly not, you know. Well, it's um, a, a, like a lot of uh, a lot of franchises will have that like first starting force that makes it and then it gets absorbed into the system. That's what happened with Gears of War is like Cliff Blazinski was the guy that was like the head of that. And then that sort of just like went huh. away after like the third one, I think. So uh, McNamara said, I can go to anyone I want. It's my game. I can go to anyone I want in the team and say, I want it changed. I've been doing it a long time, and it seems to have worked pretty good so far for me. Worked out great. He's saying it worked out great. It's been working out great pretty much so far for me. Everything's the for me where he's just he can only account for his own feelings here. (laughs) Right. Um, So one programmer said this about working at the studio. uh, Often the leads weren't involved. If you wanted to talk to your lead and say, hey, Brendan's making unreasonable demands like they want me to animate and I'm a programmer, they'd be understanding, Mm -hmm. but ultimately powerless. They can't go to Brendan and say it's not feasible just as much as I can't go to Brendan and say it's not feasible. He just won't listen to to reason whoa so basically you have everyone down the line just sort of shrugging and being like yeah he's crazy dude anyway gotta go <laughs> yeah that's as much as this they're really, really allowed is to sort of voice like turning into the apocalypse now of video games and just the way they're like their opinion mm-hmm. of francis ford coppola on set was the same sort of way of like i don't know man he'll just come out of his trailer and he'll do what he wants so so check this out because it is not uh a wild film set in the middle of vietnam and it's like a corporate environment uh in 2007 leading teams a team building uh organization was brought in to address some of the morale and turnover issues <laughs> at team bondi um apparently the way <laughs> The way they decided that the best way for this to happen was for everyone to apparently go like an open mic, like a roast, like the roast of Michael Scott. McNamara is sitting there and everyone in the company is expected to come forward and give their, quote, honest opinion about Brendan without any, like, fear of repercussions. Could you imagine that on the Apocalypse Now set (laughs) where it was like, um, so... Thursday that was there was the bodies and I didn't like having to move the bodies I'm just here to to do the makeup and I feel like I was targeted to move the bodies well dude Um, in that same way the way that he goes through this 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 goes around the team leads it's like imagine if Francis Ford Coppola was going directly to a grip and being like hey I need you to like do all our craft services today <laughs> and also do your grip work you hey marlon forgot his lines you need to go run them also yeah. we need two sandbags over by the stage yeah, <laughs> yeah. so um everybody at this team leading event uh was was v- felt like it was a trap to get fired um, since the turnover at (laughs) at Team Bondi was like so massively fast. Um, I would would fucking show up to this thing. A a gameplay programmer uh, who had no prior game development experience said they had massive turnover, a huge attrition rate. I remember sitting in a meeting with all the gameplay programmers. There were about 20 of us at the time. I looked around and realized that out of everyone at the meeting, uh, other than the team lead, I was there the longest and I'd been there for under 12 months. There is a a bakery down the street that has massive turnovers too. (laughs) 
so uh so all the people um had to come to the front of the room and say what they thought of Brendan McNamara. And he was quoted saying, yeah, some people (laughs) said some good things and some people said some bad things. I'm not in any way upset or disappointed by what I've done (laughs) and what I've achieved. I'm not even remotely defensive about it. (laughs) I think if people want to do what I've done to come here and do that, then good luck to them. If people who've left the company want to go out there and have some success, then good luck to them if they don't want to if they want to do that without me that's fine too it's like musical differences in a rock and roll band right people say they do want what they oh, people say they do want to do it some just don't and keanu reeves won't be in this fucking picture and ethan hawk is a hack and my right. bar is the greatest bar so I'm saying it's like, dude, you've still like you made an okay game in 2002, like, <laughs> and you've done nothing but upset your bosses and employees. <laughs> yes, everyone, Since. no one likey, very baddie. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, let's see. Uh, another employee wrote, uh, I can certainly attest to the appalling working conditions, the angry and abusive boss and the ineffective leads who were completely unwilling to do anything to protect their team members. It's abhorrent that these young kids were being thrown into a 24 seven corpse grinder with perpetual crunch and working overtime. Ooh, everyone's so, so eloquent. Everyone's so mad that they're eloquent as fuck. Right. Like, what, you know, when you're that mad that you really get you know, the Sauracy. Yeah, totally. Um, so now is when we should talk about crunch. Uh, Spike, do you know what crunch is? We gotta. It's that ch- chocolate bar with the rice in it. <laughs> no, no, you little silly skip. The chocolate bar, the chocolate bar with the rice in it. That's Tiger Woods. <laughs> oh my God. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> Guys, no, we were only how racist because it floating was floating right it now. Was, it was a 1940s how are you, how are you episode. Not That's why we're levitating off your chair right now. Oh my god. Oh man. Holy so, shit. Uh, all right, all right, all right. So, Come, so I now, don't know so, what crunch is now. So so crunch in the video game industry is essentially what every major video game goes through to make it across the finish line, right? It's extremely, extremely common for games to go through a few weeks of crunch, maybe a couple months of crunch. Um, and crunch is essentially oh, crunch uh, is like a process, not like a service or a company. No, no, no. It's a pro. It's like it's basically just mad overtime and you work like usually Saturdays also. Right. Um, and so it's, it's sweeps week. Yeah, it's it's like it's like 60 hour minimum work weeks to like push into like 100. Right. Um, but it's yeah. like they usually bring in systems to make sure that crunch won't have to be super long. And they sort of like, you know, oh, you do crunch for a few months and we give you a couple extra weeks of, of vacation after the project's done and stuff like that. Right. Um, but a lot of people, a lot of game studios come under fire for crunch um, because they just sort of rely on it to get things done. Right. Uh, like fucking um, again, to talk about cyberpunk again, you know, they made a whole game about how corporations exploit people. And yet they like forced all their employees to like undergo like months and months of crunch uh, just being exploited by a by a corporation. <laughs> but, 
you know, uh, that's just one of those things. Um, but basically, normal crunch is, uh, is like cyberpunk an obvious future episode of this show. Unfortunately, I think it is because they've been they were developing that game since like 2005. Like it was like an eight or nine year development cycle for that game as well. Um, but just not much is I feel like not the juiciest stuff is known yet. So I feel like later on down the line, there'll just be more to cover. Yeah, because there's a whole other studio right now running the multiplayer aspect that's supposed to come out. Right, which we'll see. Which, like, I'm not holding my breath for, you know, but it's like even that it's in itself is another dev hell because that's being that they said some lofty things about that. So, I mean, like there's things that I think we're in the middle of it. And it's one of those like it's one of like 10 things right now that are currently in development. Hell. Yeah. OK, so so let me break this down for you. Right. Um Normal, normal crunch just pretty much lasts until you need to hit your major deadlines, right? Um, and then normally, hopefully, additional help is brought in or work is outsourced or whatever to sort of lighten the load back to normal working conditions. However, L.A. Noir undergoes maybe the gnarliest crunch period in video game history, something that I'm, I don't think is legal and I'm almost positive is illegal. 12 to 16 hour work days, seven days a week, (laughs) 12 to 16 hour days, seven days a week, no days off, no holidays from 2009 all the way until the game's release in 2011. Two full years. You said you started with a year when you I thought you'd be like starting Tuesday and ending Thursday. You said a year. Two two <laughs> fucking years. Oh no. Of this crunch in overtime. Yeah. Um don't. One employee said, uh, if you left at 7.30 p.m., you'd get evil eyes. The crunch was ongoing, and it just kept shifting. An ominous crunch that just kept moving and moving. Management would say, oh, it'll finish once we meet this deadline. But the deadline kept moving. And that went on for a good year. Uh, this guy who, who wrote this uh, later said in his email that he would work 110 hours a week. Um, most weeks uh, and one of the game's few animators weighed in uh, game companies think that crunch can just solve poor scheduling or bad design decisions made early on in a project uh, another source who left so it's like not even crunch it just the process got can shitty. I see like a paycheck no we'll talk about the paychecks baby. like i wanted to see what like one of those we will like. talk oh, about no, the paychecks um another source who left the company oh, no. in 2008 called his experience at team bondi the biggest disappointment of his life i left because of stress and working conditions mainly but the trigger was this i received a reprimand for quote conduct and punctuality for being 15 minutes late to work i arrived at 9 15 a.m despite the fact that i had only left work at 3 15 a.m the same day and paid for my own taxi home. I would have never thought that you could put a sweatshop in the middle of Sydney. It's hot there. I mean, <laughs> it's easy to imagine. Yo, like, wait, this is Australia, and nobody's just like throwing a snake at this man. <laughs> he's a big man, big man, hairy arms, scary bully man. He's just gonna. He's like, oh, yeah. He, he was like, here's a game engine. <laughs> <laughs> have you been sitting on that for an hour? <laughs> <laughs> that was, that good. was great. Uh, McNamara sees it all differently, though. 
Uh, he said, and I quote, we all work the same hours. <laughs> People don't work any longer hours than I do. I don't turn up at 9 a.m. and go home at 5 p.m. and then go to the beach. I'm here at the same hours as everybody else is. We're making stuff that's never been made before. We're making a type of game that's never been made before. We're making it with new people and with new technology. People committed to put in the hours and think they need to are the people who want to be here. If you want to do a nine to five job, you should be in another business. No. <laughs> Doubt. <laughs> Doubt. Yeah. Like... <laughs> But it, yeah, like, like his I attitude understand. is just like you can't. Oh, like if you're not willing to put in as much work as the director is, then you shouldn't even work on the yeah. game. Like you can't have a life. You can't see your fucking family. Yeah. <laughs> like, let me. I want to know. Like, can't do that. Sometimes I think about like uh, it working corporate jobs. How. Uh, when they get to the top you're like what do they do every day if they're sitting in their office when you know you have like i know what a coder is doing all the time he's sweating and coding and doing this algorithm but what is like what is mcnamara doing on a day-to-day -day basis that isn't just like saying i want this that's a good point so it actually after he must have the least intensive a, a, job after, here. after that uh that thing like the leadership thing um was brought in those people decided mm -hmm. that the best idea because he used to just have his desk right in the middle of everyone else's desks so he could constantly just peek his head up and see what everyone was working on um and they were sure. like oh that's toxic and bad and so they were like you need to have a desk over here and you can only come out of your office at certain times right so that led to mcnamara yeah. like pacing like a shark at his window like before he could like be released and then as soon as he was released he would just have like everything he'd been thinking about for the last three hours and like rattle him off and scream at everybody and then go back into his office so then it was just like these intermittent bursts of abuse instead of like constant abuse abuse yeah so he's just coming up with ideas and and just using employees as sticky notes yeah now and i'm sorry if you don't if you don't have this but like is he coming out and in those three hours he's saying things like uh i want the taxis to be more round i want uh hey you the night doesn't look like night enough hey you like it, it's not like he's saying i need these things coded by blah 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 is he just like he's walking artistic, he's walking out and being you know? like being like kittrell what the fuck i said i wanted weather systems and you don't give me light hail what do you fucking think we're making i need light hail we have light rain i, I, I need light hail motherfucker uh <laughs> I, I would like to I would like to just share my truth with no consequences about uh, Mr. Anderson, uh, <laughs> Mino Likey. <laughs> so it's just like he like it seems like he might like he might have a decent idea, but everyone who is here isn't like, oh, like the James Cameron thing of people are like, yeah, he's a dickhead. But like the stuff he's making is incredible, you know? It's like, it's like, yeah. oh yeah, he's a dickhead bully and it kind of feels like we could do this without him. Like, that's <laughs> kind of how everybody sort of feels. But the game engine thing was a brilliant way to make himself necessary. Yes, totally. And make himself not just swap outable with anybody, any other director that, that Rockstar uses. It's, it's Roy, it's Ray Kroc or Roy Kroc buying the land under McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, Totally so uh let's see here where were we okay so um 
over the course of the seven year development cycle for the game, over 100 people joined and left Team Bondi. <laughs> Uh, when asked about this, McNamara, a lot of people. Yeah, McNamara said, huh, I just said more. He replied of the people we tried to build this He's game like, with. Most of them would have never had any experience with this kind of thing. And most of them would have never tried to make a game like this with these sort of expectations. Uh, <laughs> the sound of not accepting. This is such a Troy Duffy. Yeah, I know. Yeah, he's such no a dickhead. No acceptance of responsibility for like anything. Anything. You know? anything no sense ever. of humiliation. Like <laughs> no, no humiliation. When you're bragging about how many people quit, like what do you think? Do you think this is working out? See, the problem is Brendan McNamara like, watches the Troy more. Duffy documentary and he's like, that guy fucking gets it. That guy gets what a vision is. They did this dude dirty, dude. They, they <laughs> fucked this guy. Yeah, this guy. Yeah. Troy. They fucked Troy, bro. Like, <laughs> like, but you see what I mean of like, he would love all of <laughs> Troy Duffy's media, but they could never work together. Like, he would rescue him from a robbery murder. Yeah, totally. The get, he'd be his getaway driver for the robbery. Um, <laughs> it should be said, though, hey, the Brandon McNamara should die in a robbery. Uh, that's uh, a joke. Brandon McNamara should die in a home invasion. Yeah, these are jokes, folks. These are these are jokes, yeah. folks. Uh, are the these podcast are the jokes, jokes folks? <laughs> so, so this is what makes us us, guys. A big reason that uh, that the game. That, that they had such a big turnover and that they were able to abuse a lot of these people so easily was that most of the employees on L.A. Noire were fresh hires right out of university, as almost all the colleges in Australia had programs for game design that during the mid and late 2000s were being heavily featured as like the cool new major for these colleges. So like you had all these colleges like being like, oh, come study with us, study game design or film or blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? And game design was always one that they put really big on all their marketing promotions so now you had like six or seven colleges every year churning out a new crop of graduates that were all like ready and hungry to work in the games industry <laughs> and then like found out like oh my god i get to work on the next rockstar game like this like tonal like la noir thing there's this cool trailer from a few years ago out online like this fucking rules and then you get there and is the worst place to work ever <laughs> No, it's like it's like when we like, like fast track nursing students to go work on co work on COVID. Like, <laughs> yeah. You graduate early and you get a degree. Go go do COVID stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Bondi realized uh, what they had, and they decided to create a new program within the company, or a new a new uh, a new job title within the within the company called Graduate Juniors. Um, a 12-year professional wow. uh, who was an artist on the game said they created a below junior position, graduate junior. I think so that they could pay them less and push people around more. Yeah, uh, it sounds like a great way to like completely dehumanize graduate junior. Hi there, face here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> Most of the people uh, had only ever worked on this game in the games industry and cited that it made them quit the game industry forever. Uh, 
quote, we were looked at as a disposable resource. Basically, if you weren't in the inner circle of McNamara, an exclusive group, which seems to have consisted of former Team Soho employees, you were just a resource to be burned through. Their attitude is it's a privilege to work for us. And if you can't hack it, you should leave. I heard one of the upper echelons say pretty much that in the break room. And I thought it was disgusting. I don't understand how they can't see that maintaining talent would actually be good for them. Um, now, this also came on the tails of the Rockstar Spouses movement. Uh, the Rockstar Spouses movement was a letter sent to all these major game publications and to Rockstar themselves to draw attention to the insane working conditions at Rockstar San Diego, uh, leading oh, up to the no release of way. San Diego or of Red Dead Redemption. Uh, the fact that employees were working 100 plus hour weeks, uh, six day work weeks and the insanely stressful deadlines that were harming their mental health. So because of this, there was already a little stink on Rockstar about working conditions. Wow. It's about ethics. That's crazy. Gaming bounces movement of like, you're ruining my husband or wife. Yeah. You're like destroying them mentally. Like the one day a week they get off, they're so stressed out from all their deadlines. They can't even be a person. Do uh, do you guys, I've been trying to find a way in. I don't think I'm going to find a great one because you mentioned his name at the very beginning. There's this movie that seems to literally not exist. I can find pictures. I can find one weird trailer, um, but I can't find a way to watch it. It's called The Game Changers. It stars Daniel Radcliffe as Dan Hauser from Rockstar, and it is about the creation of uh, San Andreas and all the legal Whoa, like what? kerfuffle around that. Whoa. But it was like this BBC original movie called The Game Changers that must be so fucking bad because it is the hardest thing to... I mean, I'm sure I could find it if I knew my way around like CD, you know, Blu-ray rip sites or whatever. But like, I can't find it streaming legitimately anywhere. It's called The Game Changers. Uh, And yeah, it was like Daniel Radcliffe. It looked kind of cool. And Dan, Dan Hauser is a major part of Rockstar, right? Yeah, he's like their president. He's like their CEO. Yeah, he, it, it, it was CEO like he was the main like character. So, listeners, if look, if this movie is huge in Sweden, Swede, send me a <laughs> send me a Blu-ray because uh, I need to know, be confirmed that this movie link. exists. Silence. If we have uh, any, yeah. if we have inter, any international folk out there that can get us a BBC login, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, real quick, I just want to read. I'll give you a, a CBS uh, All Access login. I want to read a little. Soon to be Paramount Plus. I want to read a little excerpt from one of the the emails, um, from one of Brendan yeah. McNamara's emails. This got leaked uh, later on. Uh, that said, anyone who's worked on a game or film before knows that to make a AAA title, it's going to take a big push at the end to get it complete. This is not uncommon within our industry, and while it's not ideal, we need to do what we need to do to get this polished as a result to be a standard up to that of the competition. To achieve this result, we're introducing two new workplace practices effective immediately. The first will be longer working days. Standard hours of operation will be 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. This will include Friday, and beers on Friday will not be available until 7 p.m. I guess they used to have, like, beers on Friday after work. Um, The first day of longer... Working hours will be Thursday, August 6th. Without the additional time, I don't believe the project will be completed to the standard required within the time we have left. Many of you already do these longer hours on a regular basis, which is very much appreciated. Uh, As we get closer to the finish line, we'll need to work Saturdays and Sundays as well. 
the reason being is that we have people from Rockstar here and looking with their eyeballs on this project and we need to maximize their time with the team. Obviously, some people will have situations they can't avoid, but in general, I need all of you to come in on all of these days. The hours on Saturday will be compensated through the work weekend working scheme, giving everyone the opportunity to take either payment or an extended holiday period. As I said, this isn't ideal, but it is typical of what it takes to get a game of this magnitude finished. It's now time to look at whatever you're working on and say what needs to be done, what can make this great, what can make it shippable, what can make it competitive to be the best game that is out there. We need to iron out sucky controls, animation glitches, and bad AI so that the experience is cohesive and the glitches don't constantly pull you out of the experience. We need to trim the script and make it snappier, but don't blame Daniel, that one's on me. The second uh, new working practice is that we're going to eliminate lockdowns with weekly builds. Uh, we're now going to be sending daily builds to Rockstar. Thank you for everyone for all your efforts. Best, Brendan. So basically in that email, he's like, we need to make everything better. Everything should work better. Also, that thing we do once a week to send to Rockstar, we're doing it every day now. So that's going to take a lot more work. But also, everything else needs to be way better and we're coming in every day. Cool? The, ev <laughs> the everyday thing is definitely a rock star decision. It is definitely rock star saying, I need to see all of this, you know? And like th that email just reeks of just corporate, like everything, you know? And like, uh, it's uh, even rock star is not good at that point. No, it makes you, it makes you sort of like think about other similar situations that we, that are publicized. Like, um, you know, the people who like struggle, look, the not Tom Hooper, but the people struggling to finish cats or re -re recreate Sonic. Yeah. You know, who were like forced back into awful hours, which again is not you're solving a problem fault. with crunch because you did it improperly in your pre-planning. Like one of those employees said, you know, you think you could just throw money and right. man hours at it and fix it. And it's like, dude, the problem is deeper than that, you know? So eventually Rockstar had sunk over $50 million into developing the game and the game still seemed quite far from completion. Uh, they had sent some of their senior producers to stay in Sydney and oversee McNamara and the staff until the game's completion. Um, many employees state this as the main reason that the game actually got finished. A gameplay programmer commented, uh, when he was resigning, he remembers thinking, I can't do this to myself. When I started, there was less than 12 months to go on the project. And two and a half years later, when I left, there was still, quote, less than two, 12 months to go. He laughs. I'm not sure whether management were lying or just naive, but I felt like I accomplished nothing there. Like you, you pulled your hair out and slammed your head against the wall for two and a half years and like burned every resource and didn't see your family. And then at the end, they were like still seemingly just as far from the goal as before. Uh, so, you know, like, uh, in, for one thing in the film industry, like if, uh, it's like one person would have that issue, but it's like the thing that is one person in the film industry is 10 people in the gaming industry. Right. You know, so it's like it's always expounded like that. So it's not that you're treating one person terrible. You're treating an army of people terrible, and it's all on a personal mm -hmm. level. Well, I think if they were really treating all these people bad on a personal level, the people would have come to the front of the room and said something when they were given the opportunity. <laughs> yes. 
payment um, meetings would have helped out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things holding LA Noir back was an effect uh, of the retention rate. So when a new hire is brought onto the game, right, it takes them months to learn the workflow and the game engine and where everything is kept. And so new hires need like two months before they're actually useful to helping actually get yeah. things done. And most of the people weren't even lasting that long before they were leaving the game, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> so uh, a former gameplay programmer uh, recalls when one of his co colleagues left, quote, I inherited all their stuff to work with. And of course, once that happens, I'm quite unproductive for like a month trying to figure out which way's up. That happened to me three or four times. I ended up inheriting four people's stuff. Uh, he was working simultaneously across so many systems that when a rock star executive, like one of those producers that got brought in to oversee the project had like talked to this guy, the rock star producer was shocked to find out that this programmer was doing so many different jobs. Uh, I was like, yeah, tell me about it, man. But when I left, I had handed all those four things off to somebody else and they just hired new people and it just kept going. If they had maintained their talent, they'd operate a lot more efficiently and wouldn't have taken the game so long. Are these just like glass door reviews? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, but like, think about that. That sucks. Like you just get all these other people's work and it takes you months. You can't even touch your other work for months while you're trying to figure out what they yeah. were even doing. You know, that's the kind of shit that got me to not want to be in that industry, you know, and it's like, uh, like when I learned that game design was much more math and then like on top of that, like working on other people's work and it's a big ass group project. I was like, ah, I'd rather just play a video game. Yeah. We can't all be working on the 22,000 page script. <laughs> yeah. You know, some of us gotta, gotta yeah. crunch the numbers. Um, now the game, oh the game was a very detailed, uh, Los Angeles 1940s recreation, right? Like they really strive to recreate from as many reference photos as they could and reference videos. And like, if you look at reference photos and you go to that, you know, intersection in the game, like it looks fucking perfect. Right. Uh, yeah. It's crazy. Wow. And they were, and they were like, they got a lot of praise for that. Um, but the game itself is so linear in its actual structure that the sandbox is kind of wasted because there's not like you can't like go to a bar and do like a little mission and like, you know, go over here and meet NPCs. You got to get like, going. You got to move. There's nothing. There's just nothing to do. Right. Like you well, can drive like, around yeah. this world, but there's nothing to do in it. The systems didn't have the power to give you that yet. Well, I mean, they did because GTA no, 4 did. You know what I mean? Like you could run around in GTA four and true. do little missions and, you know, go over here and get this mission and, you know, Red Dead. They just didn't do that because it wasn't yeah, that kind of game in McNamara's yeah. eyes, you know? Right. It's also just not if your game is also like uh, like built upon like thousands of people being fired, you know, like, <laughs> right, it's like right. a, it's it's a it's a cliff made of dead bodies, you know, Absolutely. And like, this dude thinks he's Leonidas right behind it. Um. Now, a, a big reason why, uh, you know, a lot of people 
a big criticism of the game when it came out is that the world just felt like cold and dead and like it felt like the 40s but it felt like you were almost like a time traveler where you can't like interact with anybody you're just like in this like beautiful simulation of 1940s la you know like well, uh every time you um bump into somebody in the game like some guy goes hey there's no pushing dames and stuff like that and it feels like in a movie where you do time travel but where they time travel back and you're like i don't know what this is yeah i mean so uh, uh like the, the a big reason that they said that the, the world felt so cold and empty was because of a lack of animators. I mentioned a couple times in this that the animation mm. team was spread super, super thin, right? So they didn't have, yeah. you know, enough animators to do like, oh, a guy selling street food and a guy over here doing this. It's like they just did not have the budget to do that. Um, a former staff member said this, a uh, former animation team staff member said this, we barely had any animators for such a long time. It was crazy. People have mentioned how the open world in LA Noir is wasted because it was so boring. The reason was because no animators wanted to work at Team Bondi. There was no lead animator from January 2008 until the end of the game in 2011. And for large, large parts of production, we only had one animator working on gameplay animation this meant that there was no way to add any life to the world it's a perfect example of why staff retention is important which was ignored by leads at team bondi and the game suffered for it because the only people they can sucker into working at team bondi at this point is the leads that are already there who know like just burn my resources and just save my own ass yeah and the Uh the newbies who don't know any better or know anything about the industry who are just walking into the slaughter so any lead animator in australia was like oh i'm not gonna fucking work there that job sounds awful (laughs) like yeah and you're going like you know and he's going to like you said like like programmers or like the hr department being like you're doing palm trees this week like yeah. it seems like it's spread so thin like no one wanted to do any of it right um so all right now we're finally in 2011 la noir hits store shelves while the game was a critical success uh and most people really enjoyed you know the stories and the characters and the new gameplay setup um the game ultimately only moved about five million copies which while pretty good for a studio like team bondi size was really really not great for rockstar not enough yeah um, I mean, Red Dead had just done 15 million. GTA 4 just did 25 million. So 5 million was just so small potatoes that they were not into it, especially with the amount of money they had poured into the game and into the marketing. Because they really tried to market the fuck out of this because they I think they knew, like, if we I remember push this, it's yeah, gonna dude, really it was wild. Um, so like. So, uh, almost immediately after the release of L.A. Noir, all hope of the studio transitioning into Rockstar Sydney was gone as Rockstar cut all ties with Team Bondi. Fuck, that was a good year for video games. I just, like, looked up other games that came out that year. You had, like, Gears of War 3, like, Assassin's Creed Revelations, Dead Space 2, Saints Row the Third, like... Skyward Sword, like uh, Uncharted 3. There was yeah. no way L.A. Noir was going to survive. Elder Scrolls Skyrim. Yeah. I mean, that game releases like every year, but. Guys, Madden <laughs> 12. 
Yeah. <laughs> Madden 12, Arkham City, like uh, like Batman Arkham City came out. Like, yeah, no, it was it was a. I was gonna win over Arkham City. No, it was a it was a hard fucking year, and they if they had come out in any of the seven years before that, they might have had a better shot at like really standing out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no. You know, if they had come out in 2008 or so, it would have been great. You know, like, uh, yeah, basically. So Rockstar immediately after the game is released cuts all ties with Team Bondi. And this is where Team Bondi and McNamara's reputation really come to bite him in the ass as Bondi was unable to find a new studio to partner with in early 2011. So they made this big fanfare of like, guys, Team Bondi, we're out from under Rockstar. We're looking for a new partner. <laughs> who wants yeah. Who wants me, baby? And then it was like <laughs> the industry cheated them like Johnny Bravo, where they were just fucking like, <laughs> like no, thank you. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's kind of like, yeah. Uh, what What is there to, because this is, they've been dropped also from this like there was it was going to be a three game deal right yeah the whole he was always big on like we have this massive deal three games at least but we're pretty much going to be and he also there's i guess this like australia there wasn't like a major studio in australia so australian game design was kind of seen as a place you outsource work to so he really wanted to be like we're going to be the place for video game making in australia like we are like a central keep it local yeah, one here we're, we're gonna be the big boys of australian game design huh. and we're not gonna make app games like these other people do like we're gonna make real fucking video games in australia with australian teams because they're good enough god damn it and like that was one of the other things wow. he was like trying to hang his hat on with this meanwhile he's firing a hundred australian game designers <laughs> but anyway <laughs> um He's like, I have the Australian Spartans of like video game like coders, you know? Yeah. So, so like anyone who lasted till the end. Right. So any, are there, is there anybody who was there from the beginning to the end of like, to, to the release? Besides we, him? we will get to it, but, but mostly, mostly not, but we'll get to it. Uh, so as Rockstar cut all uh, ties with team Bondi, uh, they were unable to find a new partner. Uh, <laughs> You know, the studio was known for making a critically acclaimed game, sure, but at the cost of that, you had to work with these assholes, right? So Bondi announced that they were looking for a buyer at this point. Um, and then after a few months of sort of being on the market looking for a buyer and failing to even find that, the studio entered liquidation in October 5th, 2011. Now, the liquidation of the studio actually gave us a unique window into just how poorly managed the game studio was because all mm. that info now became public. The company owed $1.4 million to vendors and people, and over a million of that was unpaid overtime. So all that overtime from all those insane crunch months, all of that was for nothing. One one guy said, uh, one employee said, uh, no overtime was officially paid in the three years and three months I worked at Team Bondi. Uh, staff contracts were worded in such a manner to ensure that the only way employees would be paid for their overtime was to wait until three months after the game was released. Those who left the company before this time for any reason were not entitled to overtime payments 
No. They wrote that in there to allow McNamara to continue to be an asshole. Mm-hmm. They're uh, like, that's a, like, I'm going to say sure. that like Rockstar yeah. knew the type of person he was and they did that to get around instead of correcting him. Mm-hmm. They were mm-hmm. like, who fucking cares? We could just have shipments of coders to come in. So, uh, basically McNamara said this, uh, when asked, when asked by IGN about, uh, about the staff members being not paid, he said there was a bonus scheme for working evenings and people got a month off for that. And people who worked weekends got paid for it. We were, we brought in a work in a weekend working scheme just for that. But contractually, we didn't have to do any of that. Part of the thing is that we pay over the odds. And it says in their contract that they need to do extra time. I've done it for 20 years and not gotten paid for all kinds of stuff. I don't begrudge it. I get the opportunity to make things. All right. (laughs) Just die. (laughs) Die in a robbery. He's just such he's a, a dick, right? Like, he's just such a fucking dick about it. No, it's just that we've, like, heard him talk that way through every emotion. Like, when he's sad, mad, happy, excited, salesman, like, he's he talks like, fuck you. There's no pleasant version of him. The script's 22,000 pages. Fuck you. Like, <laughs> it's a three-game deal. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> like, we paid everybody. You're lying. Fuck he- you. <laughs> He want it's like it's sort of like the Axel Rose of like I want to be like the other people in my industry that are talked about mm-hmm. as these uh, ballsy artists, but I'm not there yet. Right. You know, it, right. it's like a like as Guns N' Roses was a band that like came in at the tail end of a genre. He's someone who made one game that like really made sense to some to a bunch of people and by the time like uh that game comes out the people that liked the getaway aren't playing video games anymore no and nobody at this point even remembers the getaway because all people have been like people have been talking about la noir dude i found uh, a blog post like a, a forum post of people talking about la noir in 2006 and this guy said they just released a, a trailer that i downloaded this is when you had to like download trailers he's like this released a trailer yeah. i downloaded and it was literally just a title screen and a black and white street this game ain't coming out till 2010 guys <laughs> <laughs> and i just want to say to that person you fucking and we're on the money, baby. <laughs> that guy now runs Wall Street bets. Yeah, he's deep fucking value. <laughs> um, but no, no, so like, you know, all that unpaid overtime uh, for all those employees, uh, you know, was just never paid. And a lot, a lot of the people, the employees say that McNamara just lied through his teeth through that interview for IGN. Um, now, those people being uh, not paid for overtime, all those people were also not included in the end credits of the game, since both of these cutoffs were for anyone still working at Rockstar when the game was completed. But for many people who both the credits and the overtime this fell under uh, were many people were like character designers or artists or map builders or stuff that were simply phased out of the production because their parts were pre-production parts. 
you know, like you don't have concept artists on call anymore. So they just didn't credit the concept artists or pay them their fucking money because it's like, what were they going to do? You didn't have more work for them. You basically told them leave. And because they left, they didn't get paid for any of their shit or credited in the game. So. So, so was the 20 uh, what was the like ps4 remaster like sort of tried to like a way to recoup nope and pay out these people nope not 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 at all was not Tell done us. at all because they were they were uh the people were owed money by team bondi which was dissolved not rockstar oh, that's one of the mm-hmm. reasons that this studio and publisher system works that's a that that that's that's how like life insurance works where it's like by the time you get around to like cashing in like your dead grandmother's insurance like that company's been bought out four times before she died yeah it doesn't even matter <laughs> and anymore. like uh, th- then you can't like then you're just stuck with nothing so um many of these artists and designers and programmers uh came together and launched a website which is still up that houses the full credits to LA Noir, uh, a thing the employees should not have to do. <laughs> but we will link it in the episode description. Yeah, we will, because these people worked on fucking LA Noir and they sh- they deserve to be credited as such. Um, since many of these people's careers in the industry were destroyed when the only thing they had worked on for the last two and a half years didn't include them in the credits, so it looked like they're lying on job applications and shit. And these people are trying to get a job anywhere else and they can't because they're not even credited in all the fucking work they did on L.A. Noir. That sucks. Ooh, L.A. Noir credits dot com. No longer. No really? longer here. Yeah. Damn. I'm sure you could find the full list on on Reddit or something. I'm sure that full list is still up. Um, yeah, I'm sure it's it's <clears throat> archived somewhere now with uh, when. when <laughs> So this is just, uh, this is, I think this is our last, this is one of our last McNamara quotes of the episode. Um, when asked if he would do anything differently by IGN, McNamara said, I think we'd have thought twice about Sydney, wouldn't we? I mean, there's not much government assistance compared to Canada or the U.S. The expectation is slightly weird here, that you can do all this stuff without killing yourself. Well, you can't. Whether it's London or New York or whatever, you're competing against the best people in the world at what they do. And you just have to be prepared to do what you have to to compete against those people. The whole, I thought the whole thing was how cool Sydney is and like how you you can do this without killing yourself. And he just he the closing remark is complete contradiction yeah he's totally turned into like the worst uh which he started out as pretty much the worst and now he's like gone full the worst um so now with massive debt and no buyer uh team bondi was fully shut down but mcnamara was hoping to save it with a new idea a new game he'd been working on a spiritual successor to la noir set in 1936 Shanghai called Whore of the Orient. (laughs) Excuse me? My sister earned that name, all right? There's no fucking way. He's just fucking come stealing here. Richard's sister's email address. Whore of the Orient at AOL.com. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, however, for obvious reasons, nobody was interested in Whore of the Orient. Uh, Wait, what are the obvious reasons? <laughs> 
So uh, McNamara uh, had to include this as well in the liquidation sale. Uh, And that liquidation was picked up by one of Australia's biggest media companies, Kennedy Miller Mitchell, who is the company uh, started by George Mitchell, creator of Mad Max. George Miller. Or sorry, George Miller. Yeah, sorry, not George Mitchell. Sorry, George Miller. My bad. Fucking the the other famous Australian that I can think of. The other famous Australian like who like knows great development hell himself. <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah. But somehow comes out so gorgeous and perfect. Yeah. So so amazing at the end. But yeah, so he owns I think Horror of the Orient. He's the perfect I thrive in chaos, you know. He owns it though? He owns Horror of yeah. the Orient yeah. because sure. because he bought it seems like uh Kennedy Miller Mitchell that company sort of waits for any like Australian properties that go into liquidation to like like entertainment properties is just a turnaround company. Just buy them up for cheap. See if they've got anything interesting. Just own it. It doesn't cost them that much, and they get some. That's some kind stuff. of smart. Um, yeah, it's like a franchise sort of pictures. Like, like they do. Films. Yeah, but but specifically for Australian art and Australian media stuff. Huh. Um, that's a that's good way cool. to do it for the culture of um, British criminals. So who knows? Maybe we will see a George Miller directed horror of the Orient movie. <laughs> I don't know. That's, uh, yeah, that's the the he's basing but, the Furiosa prequel on that. Right on now, a lot of people thought um, up until my up until the remaster of uh, of L.A. Noir that they did for the other ports and stuff in 2017 that um, the L.A. Noir rights were also sold in this. But it seems that Rockstar had retained those rights in their deal with Team Bondi and. It was just whatever other stuff Team Bondi may have been developing and Horror of the Orient, Um, which there's not a lot of evidence that they were working on much else other than L.A. Noir. So I don't know what what Kennedy Miller Mitchell paid for it, but it really wasn't. uh, They they didn't get that much. so four dollars now now while it seemed like mcnamara was totally on the outs and that rockstar uh you know was pretty you know embarrassed by the la noir sales numbers they really didn't talk about la noir up until 2017 when they released you know the updated you know version the switch version um but those were all handled by a different studio virtuous uh however the vr case files were done by a new company called Video Game Deluxe, a VR-focused studio founded by Brendan McNamara, bitches! (laughs) Oh, I'm back in me own game. Uh, And then I was was so upset when I was doing my research at the very end, tail end of my research, literally last night, I found an article that in uh, July of 2020, it was revealed that Rockstar is now working on a new AAA open world VR game with video game deluxe and director Brennan McNamara. The Australian studio is currently hiring for the new title, which they claim to be, quote, a groundbreaking project in the uh, in the description. Sluts of Finland. Dutch bitches, but yeah. So it, hookers it, of Panama. It, it looks like they've been <laughs> since since they've opened Video Game Deluxe like over a year ago. They've constantly had job postings posted, 
Uh, but in this most current one, they literally said the chance to work on a quote groundbreaking project. What's yeah, I wonder their, who wrote uh, that copy. Uh, put, put them in on a glass door. Let's see what people are saying on there. That's why I looked them up. They're so oh, new. I don't think they've had anyone talk shit about them. But on all those websites, they claim to be the company that made L.A. Noir. That'll like be on a all great those work websites. So they're basically Team Bondi 2. That'll be a great, um, you know, episode in, on, for our 10th anniversary show <laughs> yeah for whatever they're making right now <laughs> but they're cooking up something um so i want to i want to end the episode uh on this quote uh from one of the employees and sort of just on this message um there was all this young enthusiasm uh, to get into the games industry. People are willing to do so much to do it. And they're not educated about how they should really be when they're starting up for themselves or when they're standing up for themselves and making sure that the conditions are right. And I just kind of think that that's like the thing that we should take from all this is like, you know, work hard, be hungry, but don't let anybody abuse you. You know, be passionate, but don't don't let a dickhead like Brendan McNamara take advantage of you, you know, and I've, I've had to learn that right. the hard way in my life. Because at the end of the day, and it sucks, is that like Brendan McNamara is the only name we've mentioned this whole episode. So even when people talk shit about you or your work, they'll talk about this guy and that's it. I wish we could have pulled up that list and talked about how awesome all these people did. But like, assess the situation in terms of like how does this end for me like this is a guy treating me like doing grunt work is so much easier if people don't treat you like you're doing grunt work you know sure, uh, it, it's 100%. like yeah it, it's so it's so and other studios and publishers put out put out great games with incredible working conditions you know like nintendo mm -hmm. doesn't do crunch and they put out fantastic games that are some of the highest sellers that's great. That's and, you know cool what i mean like like you know they really treat their employees among well us is and, three people yeah like it's, wow i didn't know that you know uh i i, I think that there are um the, w what he did at the last at team bondi was inexcusable but given how he's responded to everything ever that he's ever said about la noir's development he is going to do it again because it were it's worked pretty good for me so far you know yeah, yeah exactly He's uh, is he in some secret club with Mel Gibson where they just keep getting to do the same job? Like Mel Gibson's got another movie he's going to direct soon. Too. I don't know, They're and really I don't know why Rockstar would work with him again shit, too. You know, I mean, it really just goes to show you that Rockstar doesn't give a shit. Because when it Rockstar, when it came out, there was a big thing of like, oh, Rockstar we're doing because they like him. We're doing a fucking, we're gonna do a a full investigation and blah blah blah. Nothing ever came of it, and it's just like now they're just working with him again. And it's like they clearly didn't give a shit. Yeah, it's it's the Warner because Brothers the Jeff Johns now. thing of like uh, of like I Ray guess, Fisher yeah. went all through all this effort to expose these people and Warner Brothers like nah Jeff Johns we're not really kind of doing the, he's not doing the movie stuff but he's still running all of their TV department which is what makes them money. Well, and I Crazy. think when they you know, when they released like, the we're gonna pretend like we don't give a shit. You know, when they like, released the VR case files, the VR case files did really really well, and it's pretty much you just you know first person. It's a couple of the cases from early on in the game. You know, it's nothing incredible, but it's like you know it's cool. Um, and I think that it was probably just like, oh, 
you know, this guy, you know, it's probably Rockstar realizing that the speed of a VR game kind of needs to be closer to L.A. Noir than GTA. You know, you can't do the frenetic of GTA quite as well in VR. And who knows if maybe maybe he, 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 you know, game engined it again and like has some they're not so much buying him as like some technology he showed up right because it's like and that's why that's likely because he VR sort of always does that shit anyways and yeah. if he if he opened a vr studio it's because he thinks he has some sort of new secret sauce that is going to be you know groundbreaking in vr you know, there was a season of like american idol or this guy <laughs> came in and sang horribly and they kicked him. And they said, "No, we don't want you." And he came back in a different city with a mustache, and then tried to sing there. And that's what this feels like, where he's like, "I'm not the same <laughs> yeah. guy." Yeah. Well, I just don't understand how you would look at all the facts of what happened in L.A. Noir and not not clearly see like when you when you have to bring in the team of specialized people that break down that like fix a working environment, you know, how do you not, how are you not like, well, we know McNamara is really the issue, you know, but it's like, everyone's just too afraid to actually cut out the cancer, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, um, it's like, uh, uh, it's like the end of bombshell. And what that movie is really trying to say is that no matter what, you're going to take away that gross part, but it's like a Medusa head, you know, like he's just back in some other way. And he's so ingrained in team Bondi, you know, he started team Bondi. It's all, all the, the people are like his buddies that he runs it with. So it's like, he's not, you can't keep doing the game with team Bondi without him. And you've put, Thirty-five million dollars into the game being made at Team Bondi with an engine that none of your other employees know how to use, and it's just like it's wild. Anyway, so I you can see we, why I, I was think, so excited to yeah. talk about this for so long because this is yeah. like so such clear development hell from so many angles. Well, great research, uh, Kyle. Do you, so you guys have played the game. Uh, I feel like I know the answer, but was it worth it? I think it was worth it because uh, I mean, like, we should think... note that Richard works for uh, Rockstar Payroll and feels like yeah, I, I, well, welcome back to Development Shill, where um, I, and I just sort of give it up for a corporation. No, I think it like, wasn't while, uh, or like, as a development voice. Right. If uh, I mean, like. The product itself has become up there as, like, known as one of the most legendary video games of all time. While, like, this shithead is on our Mount Rushmore, L.A. Noir is on its own Mount Rushmore. And, like, a lot of these people that are uncredited still sort of get to be like, I still made and had to be a part of, like, one of the greatest games possible. And the more we expose how much of a shithead, like, Brendan McNamara is, maybe the more we can also expose all of these people who did good work on this. And while it may not feel like it is worth it now or worth it then, it's like maybe it becomes more worth it in the future as this game ages and still becomes one of the legendary games and the only detective game to really work. And, like, I, I've never been, like, the biggest, like, fan of that shit. Like, I, it, I know it was always, like, my grandpa's favorite thing was Humphrey Bogart movies and shit like that. But it's, like, I wasn't a big Maltese Falcon, dude. <laughs> you know? 
It's uh, like uh, I didn't like that type of shit. <laughs> that, was, that was the Maltese Falcon coming for your throat. That was. Yeah. <laughs> that was. We've got to investigate. What Carl Malden. <laughs> Carl Malden just reached into my chest and ripped out my heart. The terror on Richard's face that we both noticed. Oh my god! Oh my god! Brandon McNamara has thrown a spear through Richard's head. <laughs> my god! No, he's putting he's on a VR headset. He was the one that said it was worth it. Um, what about you, Richard. Spike? What do you think? I don't know. I mean, I didn't play it. Uh, I don't think. I don't think it was worth it. Like, I think that, like, if, like you said, if you're calling, um, because the it is the process. Was it worth? Was the result worth the process? And I think, like Kyle said, like, I don't think that there's enough. It doesn't seem like what is incredibly special about La Noir is it equals how incredibly difficult it was to make. Whereas like, yeah. you know, with, with Apocalypse Now. I don't think now, this process and this, yeah, Apocalypse Now, only that process could have made that movie. Yeah, but because, other processes well, um, could have made yeah, this game. Because you end up with a the thing like, is, 10 out of 10 perfect movie, which I just don't think L.A. Noir is, is or considered. Uh, I, I think that the common person who's played L.A. Noir never really knows about all of this development sure, right. behind it anyways you know and it, to them it's just like a digestible thing you know it's the same thing as like a, a any uh, sort of like consumption of like anything where you don't know any of the abuse that goes behind everything you know it but i think la noir itself uh is a decent game that's like is horny for a genre i don't care for yeah i think it, i think it's i think it's a cool game richard <laughs> um what are we talking about next week uh, we're going to talk about something that aesthetically sort of looks similar, um, sort of a, also comes out of Australia. We're going to talk about uh, King Kong, baby. Peter Jackson's King Kong. Awesome. Yeah, that's a awesome. big boy. We get, we're going to talk about a big boy. We're in for a bit of a, might, a monster march. <laughs> right? We're, we're, yeah. we're, without revealing too much, um, there's going to be a little bit of a... Th we're going to start doing a couple themed months, starting with... Uh, Monster March leading up to Kong versus Godzilla, uh, which yeah, I don't know if we're so, going to cover so Kong versus Godzilla, but we're going to do some fun stuff. Yeah, totally. I mean, it kind of feels like Kong versus Godzilla like didn't have a bumpy road itself, but like this weird franchises. So I don't feel like there's any reason to cover Kong v Godzilla, no. but everything else around it, you know? Yeah. These will sure. be kind of the, 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 the King Kong route to getting there and the Godzilla route to getting there. And, uh, for sure. Sort of those, those meeting together, which I think will be fun. So, uh, fuck Brendan McNamara, yeah, fuck Brendan McNamara, McNamara, but Diana Robbery, this is a joke. But so much love to Tizzy Mav for our awesome music with our names in it. Oh, we love that. Oh, that music's wonderful. We love Mav. Uh, well, thanks so much for listening, guys. Uh, bye, demons. See you. Bye. I love the smell of dog. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>